Rick Steyer's with make, Scott Hall. And I don't think Scott Hall realizes it. He I'm, thinks he's going to finish off Scott Steiner. He's going to go for the outsider edge. He's bulldog. Rick's going to make a cover one, two, three. We got the champions. Kevin Nash go for the power bomb. Another $50,000. I think he will. There you see the Steiners. One of their trademark poses in the ring, daring the opponent to get in. Rick and Scott. I say to that power bomb question, yes. Oh, what did I just see? He, he doubled that and his own brother. What in the world did I just see? You gotta be kidding. I knew there was something wrong. I could smell it. He's no way. Scott Hall. This is, this is beyond cover. Only for DiBiase. DiBiase. Scott Steiner has snapped. Norton. Norton is in. Sting. Going low on Norton. Bagwell. There's one for Vincent. Conan on the ring apron. All the troops are out. Look, Savage. Savage has come from behind. Savage hit Hogan. Savage hit Hogan. Hogan is down. Savage did something. He hit him with something. I believe so. Sting covers on. One, two, yes! It's Sting! Oh, yes! It's Sting! Like Jackie Gleason used to say, how sweet it is! Now Sting! Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to February of 1998 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Three volumes for this month. Volume 2 takes the WWF, looking at In Your House, No Way Out, and Volume number 3. Two, ECW, looking at their Cyber Slam show. We're here for Volume number 1, looking at WCW and their Super Rule show. I'm being joined first by Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, welcome back. Nice to be about Bob. And Bob Colling. Bob, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, Bob, kick us off with the news. Sting is the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, defeating Hulk Hogan in the main event of Super Brawl. The move, headlined from a typically quiet show and typically bad Hogan main event, sees Sting as the champion, but perhaps predictably not the headline act. March's pay-per-view will headline by Hogan and Savage, with Sting regulated to defending his WCW title against Scott Hall in the semi-main event. The The match ended up being refereed by Nick Patrick, who was reinstated this month. It's said that WCW was trying to get either Robert Shapiro or Johnny Cochran, lawyers from the O.J. Simpson trial, in for the angle, but neither materialized. Neither Hulk Hogan nor Rick Fleur have signed contract extensions yet, although the likelihood of either leaving seems pretty low. Hogan is working at upper date deal, but WCW business is so hot that it makes sense for all parties for him to carry on working. It's said that Hogan's keenness to work the house shows is high right now, as he doesn't want it to look like they could draw without him. Fleur was held off TV for a few weeks, despite being absolutely fine, but has since returned. It's said that he doesn't want to leave, but isn't happy with how he's being currently used. It's not just Flair who's unhappy with his portrayal. There's growing unrest up and down WCW's roster with lack of upward mobility. Juventud Guerrero was made to strip off his mask this month after losing on pay-per-view. He was visibly... Uh, he wasn't happy with that. Eddie Guerrero asked Eric Bischoff for his release despite having two years left on his deal. Bischoff said no and wasn't happy about it either. Amongst other issues have been how certain talent have come and gone and gone and gone pushes, namely Brian Adams and Bischoff telling Malenko 
that they were great workers but didn't put asses in the seats. Bill Goldberg, who was already one of WCW's most popular acts, worked a match so bad with Stephen Regal on Nitro that it actually got Regal fired. Regal, whose comeback very out of shape, worked a long and incredibly clunkly Nitro match against Goldberg. It was in part a poorly laid out match and also one riddled with errors. Bishop was so upset with Regal's lack of cooperation, he actually fired him on, on the flight. You never can tell with Bischoff whether it's serious or not, but Regal hasn't been seen on TV since. Meanwhile, Goldberg continues to be extremely popular, but no merchandise sales yet, as they haven't made any for him. WCW was planning on doing a Canadian pay-per-view in May. However, despite planning Hogan and Brett for the show, they want to hold off until December. Speaking of May, WCW will be running 31 shows during the month, no days off for WCW talent, talent while they're running so hot. January's sold-out pay-per-view is said to have done around a 1.0 buy rate, which would be the biggest buy rate for a non-Hogan show in WCW history. Rey Mysterio finally had knee surgery in January, expect him to be out for about five months or so. Louis Piccoli was found dead on February the 15th, 1998, after a drug overdose choking on his own vomit. Said that Spicoli regularly took 25 to 30 somers every night to get to sleep, and he'd also been drinking heavily and had built up a large tolerance to the drugs. He battled these kind of problems for years. In 1996, he was found face first in a puddle, having taken 50, over 50 somers, and at one point was clinically dead before doctors restarted his heart. On to the ratings for the month. Nitro domination continued on February the 2nd with a 4.9 to 3.2. On February the 9th, Nitro did a raw, uh, a raw 6, a 4.6, the Royals 3.2. I see to make that slip up every so often. While the Winter Olympics were bringing down the numbers across the board, WCW were expecting a much bigger rating than the 5.1 they got as Raw was preempted for the Westminster Dog Show on the 16th of February. And on February the 23rd, the night after the Pokemon, Nitro did a 4.6 to Royals 3.2. Hey, yo. It's that time in the show when we take a little survey. You know it by now. We just want to know if you're with us. Or if you're against us. So is everybody here in San Antonio to see WCW? Is everybody here in San Antonio to see the I don't know. It's pretty close. But I'd have to say that's one more for the good guys. Now it's real strange times. Real strange times here in the wrestling world. Now we're approaching Super Brawl 8, so that means 
There was seven before that. And, and every year, the guy who won the Battle Royal got the title shot at Super Brawl. But this year, some guy in a skirt came out here and told the working man that he don't get no title shot. Well, Dust, I don't know if I should be mad at Sting. I don't know if I should be mad at Hogan. Dust, you've been a champ three times. Who should I go after? Right now, I stand in council over Roddy Piper's decision on this thing. I stand in council over Piper's authority to do this thing. I stand in council over WCW. Let me tell you something. When he should have got the gold mine, he got the shaft. But make no mistake about it. For the new world order, the road goes on forever. And the party never ends, baby. And everybody knows, everybody knows that when you're NWO, you're NWO. We open Nitro for the month in another big venue. This time it's the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. Psychosis and Hoover 2 kick off the night's action. This is one of the crisper luchador outings for a while, and Hoover takes the win with the 450. Gene talks to DDP in the ring. Page calls Chris Benoit one of the most underrated wrestlers of the planet, and he respects his work ethic. For that reason, he has offered the Crippler a shot at the US title on Thunder this week. DDP himself wants the match because he wants to know if he is good enough to make Benoit feel the bang. Dragon V. Kidman is up next. Another excellent TV contest here, which Dragon wins with the sleeper, but he pays the inevitable price afterwards at the hands of the flock. Nash is here with the mic. In the previous match, he saw Kidman use a powerbomb, but didn't see him carted out in handcuffs. It's not who does the move, it's the person who does it. Kev doesn't care about any fines that might come his way, and he's going to do what he wants because he's too talented, too sexy, and just too sweet. Jericho defends the Cruiserweight title against Super Callow. He retains with a Lion Tamer after another good few minutes of action. Booker puts the TV title on the line versus Regal. No time limit draw in this one, as Booker gets the win after the Harlem sidekick. After their horror show at the Bash last year, Conan and Hugh Morris get another chance to stick up the joint, and they take it. Conan wins with a faceplant. Hall asks Dusty who he should take out his frustration on for not getting a title match at Super Bowl, Sting or Hogan. The latter name gets quite the buzz from the crowd. Dream answers by saying he stands in council against Piper which makes about as much sense as Scott's having to be competitive against Jim Neidhart. The Anvil almost wins with a trapezius nerve hold, and it takes interference from Rhodes to allow Hall to hit the edge for the three. Spicoli attacks Jim following the bell, but Bulldog comes down to see him off. 
Luga is out to talk to Gene. Lex and Savage have a no-DQ match signed for Super Brawl. And in San Francisco, Luga will finish what Savage started. They might call Savage the most dangerous man in wrestling, but he will have no answer to the torture rack. Goldberg's winning streak continues. Today it's poor old Mark Starr who has to count the lights. Mongo has come home to Texas, and he guarantees victory in his rematch against that pumped-up Englishman Davy Boy, but it goes to a double count-out very quickly. A frustrated McMichael slugs Mickey J, and he and Bulldog brawl to the back. The top of the third hour begins with a customary Bischoff and Hogan smoke-blowing session. Hollywood gives Nash the green lights to maim the WCW roster because he can easily afford the 50 grand fines. As far as Sting goes, Hogan has already stung him twice, but he is fine with a rematch because he will gladly beat him one more time. And Hogan reiterates that when Savage faces Sting tonight, he will be on his own. Disco Inferno is up against Raven. Disco shows great fire in this one, but the even flow DDT secures the victory for the man from the odd side. Nash and Bagwell join forces to face the Steiners. Big Sexy goes to Jackknife Scott, but Rick breaks it up. Scott refuses to tag out, then goes on to pin Buff after a Frankensteiner whilst Nash is joined with the crowd. Rick and DiBiase remonstrate with Scott afterwards, which tonight seems to be a bit unfair. Buffer is here to call Sting vs Savage a grudge match. Uh, not really, Mike. Sting no-sells a pile driver, but hits the exposed turnbuckle on a Stinger splash. Savage then strikes with the elbow, but Hogan is in to break up the pin, because he doesn't want anybody to beat Sting but him. Luger shows up to take care of Macho, and while Sting beats on the NWOB team, Hogan manages to escape. We're still in Texas on the 9th of February. El Paso get the pleasure of having this show open with Hogan and Bischoff. Bischoff says that the only rules he plays to are Hollywood's rules. Hogan will always be on top of the pecking order, and everyone knows it from Venice Beach to the girly bars. He promises to find Savage and drag him to the ring to give him a wrestling lesson tonight, but Macho is already in the crowd with a mic. He accepts Hollywood's challenge and tells him at Super Brawl it will be Savage v Sting for the world title. Glacier debuts his new attitude against McMichael. Spicoli joined us on commentary to say that he has his friend, Larry's Bags, although he doesn't know where the man himself is. Mongo wins with the spike, but gets attacked by Mortis. He is able to see off the masked man though, and that's how we take out the trash in Texas, baby. Conan faces Northampton's finest, Norman Smiley, but Tequila Sunrise is good for the win. JJ accosts Nick Patrick in the ring. He tells Patrick that he is still under probation and shouldn't be here. Patrick states that the tape shows nothing incriminating. All he has ever done is do his job to the best of his ability. Dylan doesn't want to hear it though and gets security to lead Patrick away. Nagata completely dominates against Disco, but Sonny Ono tells him to break the Nagata lock and go up top. He misses, and Inferno wins with a chart buster. La Parker lays out both combatants with his chair afterwards. Lex is here with Mike. He's furious that Hogan and Savage have made a match with each other. He doesn't care if they beat each other to a pulp, because he will be happy to pick up the pieces. Hour 2 opens with a tremendous tag team match, pitting Eddie and Jericho versus Chavo and Malenko. Eddie shoves his nephew off the top rope and Jericho traps him in the lion tamer for the submission. Hoovy beats El Dandy with the very over 450 splash. Jericho attacks him but says he was merely offering congratulations. Hoovy then takes the mic and challenges Jericho in his native tongue. 
the multilinguist Linehart offers to translate and is very amusing in doing so. The gist is that we will be getting a title versus Musk match at Super Brawl. Regal is next in line for Goldberg. Regal works the match his way and Bill visibly struggles with it. He wins with a spear and jackhammer but not before looking very exposed as a wrestler. Spicoli brings Larry's bags with him for his match versus Chris Adams. He has a suitcase too, which he then uses for the DQ. Larry runs to the ring and Louis scarpers. It turns out that Spicoli broke into Larry's hotel room and stole his belongings. Dragon and Saturn hook it up next. More good stuff on show here. Saturn wins after rolling the Dragon Sleeper into a pinning combination. We begin the third hour with highlights of DDP v Benoit from Thunder last week. It ends with the flock beating on both men, but they recover and clear the ring of the heels. They will have a rematch at Super Brawl. Raven says that if Booker was smart, he would walk to the back and hand his TV title to Saturn. He doesn't, of course, so the flock come in. Booker fends them all off, but Raven hits the even flow, and Saturn locks on the rings. Raven yells at him to be all the pain. Hogan strolls to the ring, but Savage jumps in from behind. He kicks Bischoff in the face, and now the match is on. Hogan has control, and he goes to belt Macho with a chair, but Liz stops him. Savage recovers and hits his own chair shots and the big elbow, but Buff pulls the rep out at two. The NWO charge down and destroy Randy. Hogan then blasts him with more chair shots. Macho then actually recovers again and takes Hollywood down before we go to break. Luger makes good his promise and is here for Savage, and he gets him. Sting emerges to a huge pop and hits the death drop on Macho. Annette then drops from the ceiling to trap Sting, Savage and Luger leaving them easy prey for Hogan and co. The Outsiders against the Steiners is our main event. Scott gets thrown into Rick, which ref counts as a tag. Rick then hits a blind bulldog on Hall for the three count and the titles. After a tense pause, Scott eventually does join in the celebrations. So, a couple of things to discuss uh, before we get to the pay-per-view. Uh, zoning in largely on the second half slash the final 45 minutes of the February night Nitro. Um, we'll, we'll start with that Goldberg and Regal story, probably because it's just well, it's the the most discussion worthy uh, point of uh, of what we discuss from that particular show, and also the fact it happened first relative to everything else. Um, they they send out Regal for a match with Goldberg midway through that that February night Nitro. Um, incredibly long match by Goldberg standards. I think it was only about six or seven minutes, but it was long. Um, and Regal, who's been in and out for a while, I don't know whether he's been battling injuries or problems or whatnot. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but has come back very out of shape. And for whatever reason, they decided to have, you know, Goldberg have a back and forth match. I think that's broadly speaking going to be the plan going forward if you're going to try and push him up the card I guess they're a little bit concerned with um, putting him in those big spots or without having that kind of seasoning Um, and then we had the you know this match that was both poor in terms of how it was laid out very very back and forth and Regal's offense didn't look particularly good either Um, and also just very very clunky uh, lots of botches, lots of spots that just did not line up. Um, uh, 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 and Bob, it just didn't work. And as I say, we're not, we're not certain of this, but it seems like Regal, for whatever reason, has been fired as a result. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Watching it, uh, it just came across very awkward to me. Goldberg seemingly trying to work a style of wrestling that he wasn't accustomed to. 
trying to work different moves that we maybe necessarily haven't seen before and taking moves that I don't think he's necessarily taken before from Regal. You're right. The offense that Regal got, I mean, this is, I think one of the first times Goldberg is looking vulnerable against an opponent uh, prior. I, I guess maybe with Mongo he did, but TV wise Goldberg's been going through guys like it's nothing. And then Regal, who we haven't seen for two or three months comes in and is taking him down to the mat. Like it's no big deal. It kind of killed the aura of Goldberg uh, for me for a little a little bit, just seeing him get controlled on the mat and selling for a guy like Regal. And I love Regal, but it just didn't seem like it was the appropriate time to be doing that. What? Yeah, it was it was an absolute mess. Um, but who's to blame? Um, we all know that Goldberg matches should be going no longer than ninety seconds. And like you said, this went on for what six minutes. So the the team in the back, whoever's booking this match, must have laid it out. There's no way that they, you know, that Regal's got the authority to to draw out a match six minutes. Um, so again, I, I blame the people at the back for um, for letting the match go on as long as it was. Yes, Regal's got a part to play in uh, in what was going on. Um, you know, he, he, like uh, like Bob just mentioned, the uh, he, he made Goldberg look vulnerable, and you know the the rocket that they've strapped on this guy so far with uh, the matches he has been doing, you know, it was uh, it was it was just totally out of uh, character for uh, for everything on it. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be a, a struggle, full stop. I and mean, I've made a lot of parallels between Goldberg and Kane. I'll, I'll make another one now in terms of how. Both companies try and transition these guys from kind of spot acts to guys that you can slot into major moments and major kind of angles and major matches and major feuds and, and everything, really. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how both of them do it. We've seen it with, uh, we've seen it with WWF, uh, with, with how they've done Kane, like they did the match with Mankind at the back end of last year, which was, um, you know, uh, a, a, a long match, but a match where Mankind was doing a lot of selling. Kane was going back and forth with him, but ultimately ended up not selling the big spots and winning the match. Um, and then, you know, we've seen Kane with Vader this month, which was a decent outing. I mean, it's difficult. Vader's a, Vader's not the easiest, you know, all right, Vader can work a big man match, but he's not the easiest guy to work with. In terms of Kane's not a, you know, Kane isn't mankind in the sense that he's not that big brawler. Uh, Goldberg's not at that point yet. They, you know, they bought Kane and Kane's going to work Undertaker next month. So he's going to be working second or third from the top at WrestleMania. I don't expect Goldberg's going to be pushing to the, the top echelons that quickly, but you can't just keep having flat and lower end guys forever because the luster will wear off. Um, the challenge is, is that, you know, when he starts to come up against mid-level guys, how do you treat him? Um, you know, who do you put him against? What kind of style of matches does he have? Does he just continue to plow through people? I mean, you know, it wouldn't be the, the worst idea in the world. I mean, <laughs> all right, you got a, you got a lot of disgruntled mid-carders anyway. I don't know whether you want to just be saying, right, you're all going to lose the Goldberg in two minutes. Have that. Um, but by the way, I think it's an interesting question in terms of if, if the Goldberg train doesn't slow down and, you know, he's, He's in a sandbox in some respects. How do you present him going forward in a way that sees him send up the card in a realistic way without betraying what's worked so far? Uh, I mean, that's that's a tough that's a tough question, I guess. Um, because if you continue on, if you don't want to do 
the 90 second squash matches with jobbers and enhancement talents, as you're, as you're noting, at some point in time, you have to get to the main roster guys uh, that have value. And I don't think he's a, the guy right now where he should be having competitive matches. And I don't, when it comes to the time when he should be having competitive matches is when he's challenging for the top titles. So if you were to have a match with, let's say diamond Dallas page, I would say that he should have a competitive match and that's when you start showing vulnerability. He shouldn't be showing vulnerability against lower ranking guys. So until they decide that they want to fully invest and and maybe make him a champion, that's when you show that maybe the, that, that Goldberg has a weakness and you're keeping the upper card guys strong competing with him. And then I think everybody as a whole working with each other, with a new talent like Goldberg, remains strong. Well, answer that question. Yeah, well, if um, well, it, it's got to be when he's when he's no longer green. Um, I think obviously we, we we could see in the match that he had with Regal about how green he is, and you know I don't just mean on the offense, but obviously taking uh, taking bumps as well. So uh, you know, like, like Bob said, he's um, you know. Having the long drawn out competitive matches is, is when he's going after the guys with a bit more stature. Um, and to be honest with you, he's, he's probably not there yet in, in that stance. But if he carries on going the way he is, he certainly will be. But he's, uh, he's, he's got to be when he's no longer green because, you know, the, the shine will just come off him very, very quickly. Yeah, that's going to be the, that is going to be the big challenge for them is, um, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily how they book him is necessarily the big problem. Um, in some respects, that's the easy bit. Um, he does just keep winning up until the point where you get him in a big match. Um, so that, or, or up until the point where just the, you know, he fizzles out, which in which case, fair enough. Um, I think the big challenge is who you put him against. Um, you know, right now he's just working matches like the Goldberg feuds last, the, you know, between the two bells. Um, the question going forward is, well, if you're going to start to put him in some kind of angles, Angles generally involve looking weak, even if you end up winning the match, and that's going to be a challenge. Um, and it's also who you put him in the ring with. I mean, that's the thing. We come back to the Regal thing about I, I don't, you know, you don't have to look at Regal very much to, to say he's not in the best shape of his life. But you'd still think Regal would be able to pull that kind of match off, couldn't make it work. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, where do you go next? I mean, it would be, uh, you know, they've done the thing with Mongo, which I guess is the one quote-unquote feud he's had so far, to contradict what I've just said. Um, that didn't work out that well. I mean, they tried, but even then, like, you know, say the, that yeah, there was the pay-per-view, I think it was October, maybe November, the pay-per-view where they had Goldberg get laid out backstage, but they didn't show us that. You know, Goldberg had an injury, so to write him off, they just had Mongo say, I'm not here, Goldberg's not, and look what I did to him. And they cut backstage and he was sparked out on the floor. Um, but it'd be interesting to see who they do go with as a first major, major feud. And at what point do they first start to go, well, actually, we need to make him look a bit vulnerable. Um, that's going to be a big challenge for them. But right now, as I say, right now, it's the honeymoon period. Right now, you know, people... Yeah, they're not turning up to see him, but he's a, he's a nice act. And as I say, he's kind of in a sandbox. Doesn't really 
get involved in anything else. Isn't really, you know, in canon involved with anyone else. He's just, you know, at some point in the second hour, Goldberg's music hits and people get to watch him flatten someone for a couple of minutes, hits some, a few really impressive moves that he fucks off. Um, works really, really well, I think. And we'll, as I say, I think it'll be an interesting discussion for down the line, but so far, so good on the, uh, on the Goldberg front. We move on to, well, really just broadly the rest of that show, or certainly the last half hour, the, uh, the, the interesting general point with Nitro at three hours now is that you can start to divide the show into threes. And I don't just mean that for the sake of even hours. I mean, for the sake of, you know, from the eight until nine o'clock hour, they have an hour unopposed against Raw. And so generally they'll put a lot of the big names on in that stuff, in that part of the show and try to set things up. Our number two is, yeah, there was one show this month where the second hour was just entirely matches from bell to bell to bell, front to back. Um, I think our number two is basically just the part of the show where a lot of shit, we don't have anything um, up against the first hour of Raw. And they save all the stuff that they've got left for the third hour. And so in the third hour, we got a match between Hogan and Rally Savage, which didn't quite go on last. It went on during the middle of the third hour. Um, I suspect in part because the ratings are starting to tail off at the end of the show, um, which was uh, noteworthy. You know, not for the not for the match. I don't think any Hulk Hogan matches these days are noteworthy for the uh, the in ring action, but noteworthy really for the proper kind of you know tangible turn in an NWO storyline in terms of Randy Savage properly now being, you know, split apart from the NWO. Not to say that he's left. I'm reading this month their their wild idea going forward is to potentially split the NWO into two groups. Uh, who knows what that'll look like. Um, but Randy Savage being beaten up and kind of, you know, having a feud against Hogan and losing a lot of his allies in the NWO. Um, and then the big angle to close the show, and hell, it sure as shit works out well when you've got an angle in the pay-per-view that means you can do a clean finish on Nitro. But the Steiners winning the tag titles off of um, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall in a, in a, in a really hot, crowd-pleasing pop of a finish. Um, why not? I'll come to you first. I think in terms of all of Nitro this month, and I know you haven't seen it, but probably all of the TV across both companies this month, this was probably the the best 30, 45 minutes of action in terms of noteworthy stuff and, uh, and interesting moments. Yeah, there was uh, there was a heck of a lot going on. Um, I think the the part with, with, with Savage and Organ, you know, maybe you're looking at that and, and, and possibly thinking, are we, are we really going down this road? Um, how many times have we, have we seen these guys, um, you know, go at it themselves and, and feuding and, and, and getting together and, and obviously breaking up again. But, um, you know, I think this is the first time that it's, that it's happened with, with Hogan being the, the lead heel. Um, am I right in thinking that? Since uh, Hogan's. What, what do you mean by that? That they're feuding with each other because I know that obviously Hogan turned on 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 Savage at Bash of the Beach, but did they have a have a have a match with each other after that? Um, no, not really. Savage kind of. Oh, sorry, no, they did. They did the uh, match oh, in. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, they did. They did the big match in Vegas. That's right. Yeah. Um, that was when I think at that point Savage's contract was up, and so they kind of did an angle to essentially write Savage off on the basis that he may not come back. Uh, but yes, they, they did a, that's right, I think it won our worst match of the year in 96, actually. Um, that's probably just, why I can't remember it then. Yes, um, <laughs> they, they, uh, they, they, they did basically just a 15 minute comedy match and it's like, well shit, this is the big, 
blood feud that you've got. Um, so yeah, not not for the first time they set up Hogan and Savage, but you know they, in a lot of respects, they are still WCW's two biggest names. Yeah, true, true. Um, but that just makes all my points null and void because they've already had a match previously. So uh, moving swiftly onto the Steiners. Um, I think it obviously a good ending to uh, to Nitro as well. We ended up with uh, with obviously a nice finish with uh, with obviously new tag uh, um, tag team champions as well. Finally getting the uh, the belts off the outsiders for uh, for obviously the long run. Obviously we you know we can you know talk about what happens at the pay per view later. But uh, but yeah, um, there was obviously a lot going on and uh, it, it just made for a nice setup as well. Bob, um, I've. I would have thought going into Super Brawl that the main feud here for the title would have been Hogan and Savage, considering how much airtime they've been getting. Uh, so I had to constantly remind myself that Sting was, in fact, involved with Hogan and not Savage. Uh, it's a played-out feud at this point, um, kind of redundant. I don't really find it overly all, all that interesting. Dating back to their matches in October of 96, they don't necessarily work well with each other anymore in terms of having a quality match, in my opinion. The Steiner brothers and Outsiders uh, was a, was a pretty good match, and it was also interesting that for weeks prior to that, the Steiner brothers had been teasing tension between each other and maybe a possible split. But in this match, they actually worked together, and they are you know winning the tag titles, and everybody thinks the Steiner brothers are good; they're tag team champions again. That's another feud where it seems like it's kind of reached its end point between the Outsiders and Steiner brothers. It's been going on for seemingly over a year at this point but it was it was it was it was a good moment and a relatively good tv match for the steiner brothers yeah um you know as, as i say it, it doesn't half help sometimes when you've got a when you've got an angle that you're setting up for and all of a sudden the clean finish makes a hell of a lot of sense um and it, it plays out really really well um, in terms of just how, you know, we've got this match that we want to do on Monday. We need, a, we need something major to go up against uh, Raw, which is fine. And so they're like, well, shit, we might as well get the stars the tag titles. Nash and Hall are happy to do the job conveniently. Well, we're going to get the titles back six days later. It's fine. Get this big major angle, etc., etc. Um, And it all works really, really well. As for the Hogan and Savage stuff, I, I completely agree on the point that, you know, essentially it's just... Essentially, it's just, uh, you know, it's just like, well, we've got Hogan and Sting, and it's like, well, we could promote this match, but eh, why not? Let's just, you know, let's just move it on. Let's just go on to Hogan and Savage already. That apparently was a theme on Thunder as well, not that I'm watching it. Um, you know, and it's just, it, it's just a strange way of doing things, but Hogan's being Hogan. Like, one of the things right now, the, the, the broader thing to frame everything we're seeing with this is that Hogan is, Basically, Warren, as I say, he's negotiating with WCW for a new contract. WCW's really, really hot right now. So it really makes sense for him to be involved in everything, which is why I expect him to be on every pay-per-view until he signs a new deal. Um, and probably every TV show. He's working every house show right now because, shit, we don't want to have, you know, we don't sell tickets while I'm not on top, brother. Um, and so Hogan's everywhere. He's really involved in storylines. He's booking himself all over the place. And it's not surprising that he's booking himself across two or three different feuds um you know he who has the power shall uh, shall yield it to their own advantage i guess is the point um as it is it, it's it's interesting whether you know whether two groups of the nwo fighting each other and you know they're, they're adding you know you know we, we didn't mention the news but bloody ed leslie's back 
Um, we saw that at the end of the month. As Leslie just rocks up at the end of the last Nitro of the month, he's back. Apparently, he's going to be called the Disciple. I think. Um, you know, and, uh, I think I read in the Observer, it's like Leslie will do anything that Hulk Hogan tells him. So exactly like a normal then, I guess. Um, they've got Brian Adams, aka Crush, aka one of the uh, DOA, who's now no longer in the, in the WWF. Uh, Brian Adams is there. It's like okay, great. Um, and yeah, it, it's just, it's interesting to see it all come together, I, I guess is the, uh, is the important thing. Um, and with that, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hear our review of the final TV before the show and then we'll go on to the pay-per-view. and demands that Hogan apologises and if he doesn't match I will spit on him Hogan however will give him the beating of his life after they defeat Sting and Luger tonight Louis Spicoli sadly passed away yesterday shockingly Larry doesn't offer any condolences out of respect for his family there's a time to kayfabe this was not it Hugh Morris is definitely not Stephen Regal so this time Goldberg is able to do the business with a quick spear and jackhammer the outsiders stormed the announce booth they don't want to wait until Super Brawl for the Steiners rematch. They want it tonight. And Larry can shut up lest they unplug his dialysis machine. Sick Boy goes over Mark Starr. He wins with a move which some of you might call the pedigree. But our commentary team don't. No Steiners for Hall and Nash yet, but they do get Public Enemy. Big Sexy powerbombs Rocco onto Grunge, who is of course laying on a table. I think that one is fine worthy. All too happily, Kev also gives himself up to the cops. Gene tells Patrick that he thinks Dylan has the upper hand against him. Nick calls it a right-wing conspiracy and compares his character defamation to that of Bill Clinton. He will take up Hogan on his offer to get him the best lawyers money can buy. Mike Enos is up against Barry Horowitz. Pat yourself on the back if you guess the winner here. Yes, it's Enos with a power slam. And to close out our first hour, McMichael and Davy Boy have a pull-apart backstage. La Parker versus Eugene Nagata starts hour two. Parker goes for the chair, but Disco stops him in revenge for last week. A chart buster and Nagata lock end this one. Kidman and Dragon have a really fun match, packed with near falls. Dragon has to battle for his sleeper, but when he gets it on, Kidman cries uncle. It's a Monday, so Gene is here with DDP. He respects that Benoit wants to stand on his own two feet, but he doesn't want him all banged up for Super Brawl. He wants him all jacked up. Page then beckons Raven into the ring. Saturn suddenly corners DDP, but the Crippler comes to his aid. After they came to blows on Thunder, the faces of fear explode. Jimmy Hart tries a wooden chair on Meng, but that ain't gonna do it. But Berrien has to kick him four times to keep him down for the three. Before Disco can get to the ring to face Saturn, La Parker lays him out with the chair. Rick Martel has a match later, but he subs in anyway. Rick nails him out of the view of the official, and the rings wins it for Saturn. Kurt Hennig versus Bobby Heaton is up next, and the Hennig Plex secures an easy victory. The final hour begins with the Steiners defending versus Bagwell and Norton. They throw each other around until the match gets thrown out, when the NWO run in for a DQ for the 10 zillionth time. Martel now has his scheduled match, going for the TV title versus Booker. The novelty seems to have worn off as there are some big Martel sucks chants here. Saturn tries to interfere but Booker kicks him off. In doing so though, he hyperextends his knee 
and Rick is then able to lock on the Quebec Crab for the belt. Brett Hart is here. Yes, really. Gene informs Brett that Hogan holds him responsible for not holding the world title. The hitman accuses Hulk of being scared of him and will fight him anywhere at any time. Brian Adams, the former crush, walks in on the interview and offers to watch Brett's back. But it's a trap. He's in the NWO. Ah, oh dear. They beat him down and Hogan strolls out to get some shots in on Hart. Flair comes to Brett's aid and with the ring cleared, they exchange a handshake. JJ brings up Martel, Booker and Saturn. He announces two TV title matches at Super Bowl. Martel v Booker and Saturn against the winner. Jericho and Eddie team up again, this time facing Benoit and Malenko. They pack a ton of world-class action into their allotted six minutes and Dean makes Jericho give up to the Cloverleaf. Our go-home main event does indeed pit Hogan and Savage versus Sting and Luger. The heels jump the faces before they reach the ring, but their unity doesn't last long as Hogan isn't on the apron for a tag. When he eventually gets in, Sting puns on the Scorpion, but the NWO do their thing. Flair and Brett fight them off, and we go into Super Brawl with WCW standing tall. Ladies and gentlemen, across the country tonight, I want to bring out Nick Patrick, a man who is in political hot water here at WCW. And this time, in all due respect, Nick, I think that J.J. Dillon, the chairman of the executive committee, has got the upper hand. You're going to have to go to some measures to get reinstated. I understand you got turned down from doing another match here yeah, tonight. I got turned down from working again tonight, and uh, it's, it's a big conspiracy. And it's a, a conspiracy that's about to come to an end. Cons conspiracy? A conspiracy. That's a little strong. Yeah, it's a little strong, but it is a conspiracy. Now, I want to compare this to the situation that Bill Clinton's in right now. Even the president of our great United States is not safe from character defamation. Now, somebody says he did this or they saw that. The media takes this misinformation and runs with it. Now, how do you think that makes his family feel? Well... Well, obviously, there's been a little family. chirping going on there. It makes his family feel the same way my family feels when you announcers come out here and spew lies about Nick Patrick. Because I, I have, have never lied about you, Patrick. It is all a right-wing conspiracy by J.J. Dillon. He set forth to assassinate my character and cost me my job. Now, earlier, I heard Hulk Hogan out here, and he made an offer to me to financially back me in my legal battle against the Turner Corporation. That now, might be a good idea. Well, now, if you think about it, that is a good idea because you look at me. I stand alone. I am one man, Nick Patrick, standing alone against a corporation with thousands of lawyers. You know, try and get in and even sit down and talk to these people. They don't even want to talk to you. You can't even hardly set up a meeting. I've been turned down two or three times. It's a conspiracy. And Hulk Hogan, yes, I will take you up on your offer because right now I need a good lawyer. So, on to the pay-per-view, Super Bowl 1998. Bob, you can kick us off with the results. Absolutely. Booker T won the WCW World Telev Television Championship from Rick Martel. Booker T then proceeded to immediately defend the title against Perry Saturn and was successful in that defense. Disco Inferno defeated La Parca. Goldberg defeated Brad Armstrong in a special bonus match. Chris Jericho retained the Cruiserweight Championship against Juventud Guerrero. In a title versus mask match, the British Bulldog defeated Steve McMichael. Diamond Dallas Page retained the WCW United States Championship over Chris Benoit. Lex Luger defeated Randy Savage in a no disqualification match. The Outsiders won the WCW World Tag Team Championships from the Steiner Brothers. And Sting won the vacant WCW World Heavyweight Championship from Hollywood Hogan. 
Why? What do you think of this show? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Um, I wasn't bored. I know that. Um, but at the same time, I think I'm seeing a continuous theme with with WCW pay per views now. With uh, with with a good undercard. Um, a decent mid card, and then obviously just getting stuck with the bullshit up pump in the uh, in the main card. So uh, it's, it's nothing I've never seen before. But yeah, as I said, I wasn't I wasn't bored. So yeah, I think it was okay, mid level. Bob, uh, I'm in the same boat. It, it's it felt like a middle of the road show. Uh, first hour and a half, I found myself kind of really invested into it, and then about maybe just after the midway point. I lost interest in it. Uh, I didn't really necessarily find the undercard overly great by comparison of past WCW shows. But as a whole, the Super Bowl to me is one of the bigger pay-per-views for WCW throughout the year. And it didn't come across to me as a, as a big deal. No, it says a lot about the show going in, but Hogan and Sting, you know, whether it's the right time to have done the rematch, I don't know. I suspect striking while the arm was hot is certainly one way of looking at it. And the fact they had a, you know, an unresolved title situation by design, they kind of had to do something. Um, but this was a, 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 a well put together, you know, the, the booking was reasonably solid. Like the angle with Scott Steiner turning on Rick was well done. Um, the angle at the end with Sting winning the title was well done. Um, but the match quality, even on the dub- normal WCW curve, was down across the board. Like, you know, the main events were, were especially shit. Um, and then even the undercard where they were trying hard, but nothing really stuck. We were in San Francisco for this show. One point day, Meltzer mentioned a few times that not really WCW country. Um, Insofar as the, you know, a lot of wrestling fans, but guys that tend to be kind of, you know, WWF type fans and that kind of thing. Um, so in that kind of sense, you know, not everything got over that was necessarily supposed to. It was an okay show, but you know, again, for, you know, not for the first time in the last six months in WCW, the kind of show that you could almost skip the whole thing. That's not great. You know, that's the, you know, the, the, when, when, when pay-per-views are once a month and there was no other live television, there was something to have just buying a pay-per-view. It's like, well, shit, if they're going to do something unpredictable, this is probably the place they'll do it. Um, now that this is, you know, hours six, seven, and eight of the live television for the month and God knows, uh, for the week, sorry, and God knows what it is for all the TV for the week. I know they've dropped a couple of their shows, but they've got a couple of hours of WCW Saturday night the day before as well. Um, you know, God help anyone who's watching all this TV. I'm not. Um, but, you know, with all of that, with all that going on, um, it just means that you've got to do something different with your pay-per-views to make them stand out. Um, you know, the you know, TV shows tend to be angle-heavy, and these days, you know, if you, if you look hard enough, you tend to get reasonably matches on TV as well. Okay, they're more likely to deliver finishes on pay-per-view. Um, but you're asking a lot for people to pay 30, 35 bucks for a show on the basis, well, we might actually deliver something here. 
Um, that's not the best sales pitch, at least I don't think it is. Anyway, we'll, uh, we will see as we go through the show. We, Tony Schiavone describes tonight as unquestionably the biggest rematch our sport has ever seen. Someone could have told WCW's booking committee. Uh, first up, it's Booker T versus Rick Martel for the WCW television title. With this match, we'll defend the title against Perry Saturn later on tonight, as it turned out straight after. And Booker getting a very good reaction here. He starts by sending Martel to the floor. The crowd in the Cow Palace here as loud as Raven are loud here as Raven's flock are in the front row. Martel does a backwards roll, but Booker hits a lovely standing psychic for a two. He lobs Martel across the ring with a big arm drag, and then Martel throws him to the floor. Martel misses a charge in the corner after some sustained attacks. Booker rallies, then spins to his feet. Martel nails Booker with a spinning spine buster. He then gets a Boston crowd in, but Booker gets to the ropes. A pop for the crowd for that too. Booker hits a flying forearm, then a scissors kick, and then a spine buster of his own. He goes to the top, and Martel ducks a crossbody attempt. Booker hits a Harlem sidekick and wins the title. We go straight into match number two, but a reasonable point to stop. Uh, Wayne, opening up, Booker T looks impressive, but I, I think not that you probably see much of Martel's return in WCW, but I feel like any gloss that there was in Rick Martel being this quite good-looking mid-40s bloke seems to have worn off now. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd, this match and, and shoehorning Martel into uh, into this on on a pay per view just didn't make sense for me. Um, you know, like you you mentioned, Booker T's he's definitely over with with the crowd. Um, is he quite there as a singles performer yet? I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, I don't think he's he's adapted well enough yet. Um, I think this match obviously showed, um, you know, sorry, actually exposed Booker T. Um, and both of the matches did, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I thought he was a bit, bit erratic at times and, you know, that probably played, played a part in the next match with him being blown up as well. So, uh, the match was, was, was alright. It was, it was good, uh, nostalgia reasons to see Martel again. Um, I don't think we'll be seeing him uh, again after this, after what he did to his knee though. But, uh, but apart from that, yeah, it was, um, it wasn't too bad of an opener. Bob. I thought it was a show that had better usage for Rick Martel. Uh, back at Sold Out, he was primarily playing a face role there, and it didn't really seem to connect with the crowd. But playing a heel here seemed to garner a better crowd reaction and, and worked a relatively better match with Booker T. Probably, I would say better than their Sold Out match. Uh, as Wayne mentioned, Martel, you know, legs hitting the ropes, a noticeable torque on his right knee, which was pretty disgusting to me uh, when I when I saw it. Uh, it's a solid opening match. I'm all I'm all on board on Booker T. He's one of the easier wrestlers for me to watch. He's a big guy. He's very athletic. Does some pretty powerful moves. Uh, just makes the viewing experience a lot easier for me and more more enjoyable. And I I enjoyed the leaping sidekick finish with Martel coming off the middle rope, even if it was kind of horribly set up. It was a pretty obvious finish. Yeah, um, Booker. Looks good in spurts. I mean, there's some things he does really, really well. I mean, invariably, they're all variations of kicks. There's nothing really wrong with that. Um, does a lovely drop kick from the top. Uh, does a lovely kind of high side kick, a lovely kind of jumping scissor kick as well. Um, you know, he's, he's very impressive in terms of, I think he's got a long way to go in terms of stringing all of that together into something that's coherent and watchable, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's really where it ends at the moment. And Martel, you know, 
I think Dave Meltzer said, like, if you were able to import, teleport this Rick Martel seven or eight years ago, he'd probably be a, a useful mid card act. Maybe not even seven or eight years ago. Go back to when we go back to ninety three, ninety four. We were doing this show to begin with. Like this, this version of Rick Martel was far better than the version of Rick Martel that existed in ninety four. Um, a much cleaner, much better look. Um, probably looks younger now than he did then too. And the kind of guy that with a bit of name value that hasn't completely fallen off the cliff like it has now could have been plugged into a, a, a mid-card role in either WWF or WCW um, and could have been a difference maker. But now he's just there. Um, you know, I... I I understand what they were trying to do with, with this program, with Booker. Um, but, you know, it's the Booker T, as, as is the Steiners, is, uh, you know, there's a good case that both of those things are, are a direct result of the directive to essentially split up all recognized tag teams. Um, it is my impression is that the reason Booker's working singles, I don't know what they're doing with Stevie Ray, is that that's the idea. Um, and who knows? Who knows what, what will happen? But they're, they're, they're clearly keen on Booker T's. One of the younger guys are pushing. They're, they're pushing. We talk about um, their issues with upper mobility. He might be the kind of guy that runs into issues as well. Got a very good look. You know, I think he gets the right opponent. Could work good to very good matches. But I don't think Martel's the right opponent. Uh, and that's a relief. We jump straight into match number two. The bell rings and Saturn storms the ring straight away. He puts the rings of Saturn in. Uh, he's trying to win the match with roll-up pins after that, which just looks a bit weird, but Booker escapes. Booker leapfrogs to charge into the corner and nearly gets it with a neat roll-through. Saturn continues an attack on the floor to the faintest ECW chant in history. Booker gets something by throwing him into the guardrail. If ever there was a time to chant ECW, that was probably it. Booker can't take advantage and Saturn maintains the upper hand. Saturn lays Booker out on the floor and hits a slingshot splash from the apron. A belly to back from the second rope puts both men down. Saturn breaks up a 10 count to go for a pin. Booker hits a front suplex from the top then lands a lovely missile drop kick coming off of the top as both men go down. Shivoni says, are we going to argue all night, you and me? And Heenan responds, not if you leave. Today he pipes up and tells us that Rick Martel suffered a torn knee ligament injury in the first match. That's actually a shoot, forgot to mention that. Booker smashes Saturn with a flying forearm. He hits another spine buster and then a scissors kick. He misses the Harlem hangover. Saturn picks him up and hits a bridging suplex for a near fall, then a rubbish German suplex, although he may have been selling. Booker T hits a Harlem sidekick and retains the title. Um, Bob, another outing for Booker. I, I know what they were trying in terms of, you know, we'll get him over this heroic baby face if he, if he defend, wins and then defends the title uh, back to back. Um, it barely worked. I'd say it worked about 25% of the way that they wanted it to. Would that be fair to say? I don't know. For I I enjoyed I enjoyed the both segments. Uh it goes about a half hour combined. Um Booker T I th- I thought worked very well in both the matches. The Saturn match was probably more competitive and more entertaining of the two. I probably would have had Saturn come in and hit like a Death Valley driver or something instead of going for the rings of Saturn right next to the ropes. Um, I was surprised Saturn didn't really hit the a lot of suplexes till midway through the match, but I no I thought Booker T winning both matches back to back shows their intention of making him a bigger deal. Maybe the opponents are weaker um, that they're not they haven't really built up as being strong contenders or anything or, or fairly recent, and there's not much depth to the story or meaningfulness behind it. 
But I would say Booker T winning both these matches, to me, it was more successful than, than just 25%, as you noted. Fair. Why? I think you were being kind, giving it 25%. Um, I, I, I don't think it did anything for him, in all honesty. You know, I think the first match was... Um, you know, obviously we've just gone on, you know, but for me, Booker was exposed because he was, you know, he didn't slow down. He was too erratic. And then in, in this match, it, the, the match was probably more entertaining and, and mesh well, and they mesh well together because Saturn was getting all the offense in. You know, for, for me, I was watching it and, you know, I, I thought I, I did actually like the storytelling that there was, uh, um, that they were doing on with, um, you know, about, about the fatigue, uh, the fatigue on, on both of the wrestlers, you know, uh, Booker T further as he's, he's just had a match and, and Saturn, um, you know, tiring with all the power moves. And then I just realized that no, there was both actually just blown up. Um, you know, it wasn't a bad match, but I, I you know, I, I thought, you know, both of them tiring uh, made it a sloppy watch at times. And, you know, I thought all round it was just a bad call by WCW to have the two matches back to back. You know, maybe they, they probably realised that in hindsight, but I would have just much preferred to watch Saturn and, uh, and a non-lethargic Booker T go at it because, uh, you know, I think they can, they can have a much better showing if, uh, if both of them are, uh, you know, not as tired as, uh, well, Booker T wasn't as tired as what he was. And, you know, having the two matches just, as I mentioned before, just didn't make sense at all. You know, was it to get Booker T over? I think you just mentioned it right at the start, Bob. Um, you know, as soon as he come out, he was over with the crowd. So, you know, I don't think they've got an issue with um, with, with that. You know, was it to, to fill more time? Well, maybe give Saturn and Booker T a little bit longer. Or, you know, I think there's plenty of other guys that you can get on the card as well. Or was it just to give Martella a payday? I'm not quite sure. But I think it just, you know, the, the, the fact that they, they had the back-to-back match, I think it just ruined it for me a little bit. Yeah, I think I sit in the in the middle of you two on this one. It, you know, that's how, I, I quite like the two segments. I just I'm kind of in the opinion that I think when they put that together, perhaps they were thinking, well, we'll get we'll get more out of this, and perhaps they did. Um, Booker looked good. It's a bit of a shame. I, I don't know whether Saturn's knee is now permanently fucked or whether Saturn's just wrestling a different style, but it really is a shame that. WCW haven't got the Perry Saturn of 18 months ago. I haven't got the Perry Saturn that, you know, as much as they were so good as a tag team in ECW, both him and uh, whatever the hell his tag team partner was, I've gone completely right now, um, you know, were, 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 were really, really good as the Eliminators. John Cronus, that's it. Him and John Cronus are really, really good as the Eliminators. Um, wrestling, you know, not just in terms of really good ECW tag team because they can brawl, being really good ECW, really good tag team because they could work. Um, uh, and Saturn had a lot more offense to his game. Now, this is a different character. And as I say, I don't know how much of that is enforced due to the injury and how much of that is just what we think is a good idea. Um, but Saturn's now working this much more kind of, you know, brawl based style, which is kind of where the industry's going. This is the real kind of, fascinating broad story of the last few months now is that it's like either wrestle really really well or brawl seems to be the 
seems to be the going rate now. Being average doesn't really cut it. Um, go and watch the, the WWF main event this month, and that's kind of what happened there. Sure, Michael's out of the show, and it's like, shit. I mean, you know, they didn't help themselves. They replaced it with fucking Savio Vega. Um, but, you know, they decided, well, you know, we don't really have... We've got the LOD in this match. Oh, let's just turn it into a walking brawl. And Saturn's like, well, my knee's not working as it was. I can either work a 60% off Perry Sand, or I can change my style. Um... I, I think it worked. I just don't think it worked to a tremendous degree. I don't think this was a, a great outing um, for Booker T, but I thought it was good. I think it's 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 interesting reflecting on what they're doing with him and what they're trying to do with him as a singles act. As I say, it's interesting that they've split the group up, and you know, I, it says a lot that I can't tell you the last time I saw Stevie Ray on television, and Booker T's getting this kind of push. Um, but, you know, I, I don't hate what they're doing with the flock, um, but I can't point to anything yet involving the flock and going, that's been productive for either the, the guys in the flock, unless you're like Billy Kidman, or the guys they're working with. I, I can't really see anyone being enhanced from that right now, so we'll, uh, we'll see where that goes. Anyway, Shivani says, we're going to go backstage and see what's up with the internet. Jericho's own line wasn't much better either. Next up, it's La Parker versus Disco Inferno. Parker is wielding a chair that gets disposed of, but he takes down Inferno. If you're wondering, these two are, of course, feuding over dance moves. Parker gets a small pop by taking the piss out of Disco's dancing. We drop to the floor and Disco gets whipped into the guardrail, then lays him out with a lariat. Disco whips La Parker into the guardrail, then lays him out with a lariat. Back in the ring, La Parker hits a couple of big kicks to the down Disco, who gets his foot on the ropes to stop a pin. Parker goes for the Labmati Strach, he then misses a charge into the corner during some audible boring chance, or during some audible boring chance, sorry. Disco flips over Parker with a back elbow. Disco hits the worst atomic drop in history, then flattens Disco with a forearm for a two. Um, or flattens him with a forearm for a two. Anyway, he then hits a sweet, nice swinging neck breaker. Referee Scott Dickinson gets the thumb to the eye. Parker grabs a chair and sits Disco on it. Dickinson comes to. Parker gets crotched on the top. Then Disco shakes for a superplex, but Parker blocks it. Parker comes down onto the chair. The referee removes it. Disco hits the chart buster, and that will be enough for the three. Wayne? Um, you know, I thought it was a, it was a solid start. Um, you know, both working working the crowd. Um, it didn't seem that the the crowd was was as, as into the Parker's dancing as what he would like. But um, um, but yeah, then you know, coming from midway to the end, I don't think it was as free flowing as uh, as quite what it was before. And you know, it seemed to me that the match was just there just to um, just to try and talk about the the chart buster finish as much as possible because I'm guessing that they're trying to get that over as uh, as their move rather than the Stone Cold Stunner. So. Uh, um, you know, that's just what it seemed. It was no different than what you'd probably see on, on Nitro. Um, I think the, the bit I got out the most is, um, you know, with uh, Mike Tanay when he made me tickle a little bit right at the start when Lepaka come out with a chair and he said, here comes the chairman of the WCW. You know, I just thought it was uh, a nice little, uh, <laughs> nice little comment to come from. And that's all I got from the match, really. Yes, that is, uh, that is the <laughs> limit of comedy where Mike Tanay's concerned, I suppose. But what do you think? <laughs> I hated it. I don't know why it was even on pay-per-view. I know they had a little bit of interaction on television. Uh, I certainly didn't think it was enough to warrant a pay-per-view match. Um, the first 10 seconds, they randomly collide in the corner. It was very awkward. And then they just like go to the floor, which had my hopes for this match being good, going right down the tube. 
I was hoping that when Parker missed the top rope splash about six minutes in, that Disco would just hit the chart buster and call it a day. And then unfortunately, the match went on for another six minutes. Um, it's just a, the biggest pop of the match is Parker using the chair. I don't think anybody at the arena cared for what was going on, and they got bored of it about roughly the same amount of time I did, about five or six minutes in. Um, but luckily, a Disco wins and maybe can move on from it. But I. I didn't think this was needed on TV, and it was a bad follow-up from the first two segments. Yeah, I think that they need to work out what they're doing with Disco Inferno. Like, he is a comedy act in the, you know, stop putting him in serious spots. It was a serious spot, but it's like, you know, they're, they're treating him like anyone else. And it's like, Disco's, the best role for a character like that would be popping up where relevant in certain spots, not sending him out there on a on a pay-per-view and trying to make him work these, you know, they're not massively long matches and the guy can work. Um, it's just, he's not credible. It's not the match is a bad, just no one really cares. And that was kind of the point. They just sat on their hands. Um, you know, boring chance and never a good sign. As we say, perhaps in front of a different audience, this works. Um, and just stick the Parker on the pile of guys that probably deserve a little bit better, but WCW just don't have any space for, I think will be the best way to sum it up. Anyway, J.J. Dillon comes out to booze. He awkwardly recounts a story regarding Nick Patrick's reinstatement. Patrick is out for the announcement and seems very happy about it. He kisses Oakland. Dillon cuts off Patrick during another slick promo and says that Patrick is not the referee selected for tonight's main event. Uh, and we move on next to Brad Armstrong versus... I said that was the that was the bit we mentioned in the news about... Uh, they were trying to get in. It was Johnny Cochran or Bobby Shapiro, the, uh, the, the, the lawyers from the O.J. Simpson case. What a... What a wonderfully random bit of TV that would have been. Um, just, you know, watching them try to crowbar that in. Um, I, I'm a bit disappointed it didn't happen, but apparently they'd, they planned on getting one of the two. Um, and, and one of them was interested. I think it was Shapiro that they got quite close with. Uh, he then couldn't do it. And then it was too late to get Johnny Cochran in either. Um, but by that point, they were kind of so committed to the angle, they kind of went along with it just without Patrick having any code, because the idea was he could have legal representation. I, like, I don't know what the idea was, was meant to be. That, that Nick Patrick could, could, you know, afford the legal counsel for the, you know, the same legal counsel involved in the OJ Simpson trial. Um, who the hell knows? But, but there we are. Uh, anyway. On next, it's Brad Armstrong against Goldberg. I will give Wayne and Bob a million quid if this is longer than Goldberg and Regal from Nitro. Goldberg rolls through the leg into a leg lock and he just about made it work. Hits a power slam, then a belly to belly. Armstrong gets a big bit of offense in, including a Russian leg sweep, but Goldberg just no sells it. Goldberg then hits a gut wrench suplex, then a spear. The crowd whips up. Goldberg hits a jackhammer and, well, you know the story by now. Um, Wayne, this is the use of Goldberg, right? Yeah, this is the right way to uh, to be booking his matches for the moment, anyway. So, uh, um, you know, I, I won't really say he's in there with someone credible. You know, we obviously know who Brad Armstrong is and, and what he's about, etc. But, um, but yeah, he's just he's just other fodder for uh, for Goldberg at the moment. No other no other different type of match than what we've seen so far from uh, Goldberg. So nothing more to nothing more to talk talk about it. Bob. No, yeah, this is a, the absolute correct way for going with Goldberg. The crowd was noticeably more into it by comparison to Parka Inferno that went 11 minutes. This goes a, a minute 30 maybe, and the crowd was just eating it up, and Goldberg looks like the monster that he should be. 
So I thought it was an effective thing. It gets Goldberg on the pay-per-view and is a fine filler match. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I thought it was executed well. Yeah, nothing more to add on that. Move on next. So who the two Guerrero versus Chris Jericho for the WCW Cruiserweight title slash Guerrero's mask. Interesting little story here. Apparently Guerrero had agreed to, uh, to lose this mask, but essentially the idea was going to be they were going to build it for a while. They were going to build it into this big match. Uh, it's potentially going to be a match against uh, Jericho with Jericho's hair on the line too. Uh, and the thought that they might kind of simultaneously tell this story with the story they were going to tell in Mexico regarding Guerrero's mask being on the line. Do the two things at the same time, then make quite a big deal out of it and perhaps potentially, God forbid, make him, even make some money out of it. Um, as it was, Guerrero rocked up on TV a couple of weeks before and they said, no, you're losing it at the pay-per-view. He's like, oh, um, you know, we talk about moving the camp, etc., etc. Probably didn't help. Jericho starts a match still wearing his title belt. Guerrero hits a spin kick into the belt and Jericho soon takes it off after that. Hoovy comes off the top rope with a rolling something. Jericho lays out flat on the floor. Seems like he's trying to get counted out and then Hoovy breaks it up by just jumping on him. That was nice. Jericho sets up the ring steps on the floor, takes a run up, jumps off of them and Hoovy catches him and then drops him onto the guardrail. Back in the ring, Hoovy comes off of the top. Jericho catches him and drops him into a tombstone. Those two bits are really good, but you probably could have done with a bit more selling between them to make the first spot a bit more significant. Jericho puts Hoovy in a backbreaker, then claims he submitted. This Jericho character is an absolute riot. Hoovy comes off the top. Jericho catches him, spins him round and drops him into an electric chair. Jericho goes to the top. Hoovy drop kicks him off and Jericho's had enough. He turns around and watch who he set up a splash off the top rope. He just stands there and patiently catches him. They really need to work on that. Who and two drops him into a tombstone pile driver. It's time for the Hoovy special, which is a 450 splash into about 12 inches of space underneath the turnbuckle. He lands it, pins Jericho, but Jericho gets his arm on the ropes. The ref counts three, the bell rings, but the match carries on. Hoovy sits Jericho on the top and hits a springboard Rana. We get a pair of pin attempts. Jericho bridges out and hits a suplex, then misses a line salt. That's nice. Hoovy goes to a hurricane Rana. Jericho catches him into a line tamer and Hooven Toon submits. He goes to take his mask off. Heenan says, wouldn't it be something if it was Oakland under there? Hoovy then says, I love you before removing his mask. Jericho takes it off him and Hoovy is unmasked. No gimmicks there as we get a full-on shot of his face. Bob, what do you think of this? Um, I really wanted to like the match, but to me it was a disappointment. I really like Jericho's trophy case that he has going on right now. Penzer's tuxedo, Ray's knee, the championship belt, and now Hoovy's mask. I like that little, building a little trophy case for Jericho. Uh, to me, Hoovy just didn't seem like he was very crisp um, for the majority of the match. Um, I, I, maybe that plays a part in that he didn't want to lose his mask. Maybe he wasn't as motivated as he should have been. I don't know if I liked all of the comedy aspects of the match. I did enjoy Jericho winning the belt or having the wearing the belts and then having it get kicked into his midsection. Didn't seem to connect with a live crowd. Um, I but I, I enjoyed that little spot, but. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it was okay. I guess I was expecting a really great match, high-flying, exciting. It was just okay. It was kind of botchy to me, a little sloppy. But Jericho going over is the right decision, continuing to build his momentum. And Hooventude looks like he's 12 years old. When? God, how much better are Jericho's matches now he's got character? Unbelievable. So totally different from, um, you know, from what this guy was like, what, six to eight months ago. 
Um, if not, probably not even that long to be fair. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that they put a pretty good match on. Um, thought it could have been better. Um, I'll go into reasons why a little bit later, but you know, I thought for, uh, for for what they actually did, some of the you know some of the storytelling was uh, was on point as well. For you know, Guerrero's got his uh, got his mask on the line. Um, you know, him being the babyface in peril, you know, hitting the moves out of desperation to the quick pins, but but still unable to get the job done. Um, you know, normally a match under under this stipulation, you'd expect uh, you know the face to come off with it with a near margin win. But uh, but like Bob says, you know, I totally agree. I think the right call was made. Um, you've got to go carry on with this uh, with this Jericho uh, train at the moment. You know, maybe looking at building building more and more items into into that trophy cabinet. But uh, you know, with with the storytelling uh, throughout and throughout and and you know the unmasking at the end, I just can't help but think if if Guerrero was uh, you know was more over with the crowd then you know it probably would have actually been a classic uh, uh, an absolute classic you know maybe even match of the night if not more but uh, but the crowd being uh, being more into Jericho at the end you know probably just took the shine off it yeah um, they, they, they tried a lot with that mass thing with uh, with Mike Tanay over the last six months or so on Nitro trying to get that over but it, it still just hasn't really stuck um, you know it'll take a lot more than you know, a dozen three-minute segments on Nitro to get that kind of history over. Um, this suffered from a lack of build in terms of a lack of significance. You know, it's it it does kind of show. We've seen it a few times now that just having titles on the line, indeed having mass on the line, doesn't necessarily mean anything. We see it with Rey Mysterio too. Like you can say a mass on the line, but the guy's got to be over for it to mean anything, and the mass got to be over it to mean anything, and that and that, you know. In the case of Mysterio, slightly different, but in this case, Hoovy's not over at all. Uh, the match was pretty good. It was probably a match full of really good moments, rather than necessarily just a consistently good match. Not everything kind of came off perfectly. Um, but there was, you know, two or three really, really nice spots during this match. I really liked the spot with Jericho running up the ring steps and Greta kind of flipping him and dropping him on the guardrail. That looked really nice. Um, and the finish was really well done too, kind of blocking the Hurricane Runner into the Lion Tamer. So they got that right. The stuff in the middle was good, but it, you know, this isn't quite working yet. This whole thing with the mask, they've tried. They've not tried brilliantly, but they've tried and it just hasn't come off. Um, and, and you know, they've got the, you know, I, I guess the question now is like, it's the idea with the whole mass stipulation to try and make a match mean more because it's on the line, or is it with the idea that we can use this to get Hooven to Guerrero over? And my hunch is it's probably the former. And if that's the point, if that's the if that's the case, then I don't really know what the point is because I don't think this match was over. Um, and that would probably be my biggest uh, my biggest observation as we move on to the next match. And it's Steve Mongo McMichael versus the British Bulldog. It was a great segment on Nitro. I can't remember which one it was. Um, what which shirt was rather. But at one point we're just watching, uh, Mongo walking through the back. Uh, and Bulldog's just got a cup of tea with him. And Mongo goes, or was it coffee probably? One or the other. And Mongo goes, what are you doing there? Standing there drinking some coffee and Bulldog's like, I don't know. And then Mongo just starts beating him up. Um, just, you know, a, a thrilling segment from the, uh, the brilliant minds of the people that write, uh, WCW Monday Nitro. Anyway, Mongo hits a twisting body slam and follows that with a proper one. Bulldog locks in a Boston crab and Mongo eventually gets to the ropes. We spill to the floor and Bulldog starts working Mongo's forearm repeatedly off the ring steps and the guardrail. 
Apparently that was setting up for Mongus Wrist not being ready to take the three-point stance. He goes for the tombstone, but the injured Wrist can't take it. Bulldog locks in an arm submission and Mongo submits. Commentators contest the finish. No, no tap and no obvious finish. And Mongo protests it afterwards. Apparently it might have been in reference to an MMA finish um, or a, a Valet Tudo finish. I'd be surprised. I suspect it's more coincidence. I, I, I doubt they're watching that. Um... Wayne, what, what, what do you think of this? Mongo and Bulldog? I, I know what they've tried with these two. You know, Mongo's the, the big ex-footballer and Bulldog's this big guy. This pairing does not work. <laughs> no, not really. But, uh, you know, I never thought I would put psychology and Steve Mongo McMichael in the same sentence, but we actually saw a bit of psychology from Steve Mongo McMichael tonight. That, uh, that bit with the, uh, with the wrist and unable to do the three-point stance and, uh, and obviously the, um, the tombstone after that as well. Um, you know, I wasn't, wasn't looking forward to it going in. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I'm glad it's, you know, I, 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 don't get me wrong, I, it doesn't work with these two at all, but I was going in there with, with no hope at all. And, and to, to see that from, from Mongo and then to see, um, Bulldog taking some bumps and finishing with a submission. Um, you know, it's just something that I just wouldn't have expected and, and, and got to saw, to saw these things. So yeah, um, it, you know, it, it was, Exceeded expectation. Bob? I did not enjoy this one either. Um, it was amazing to me to see how drastically Bulldog's in-ring ability has fallen off since leaving the WWF. Just doesn't seem like the same wrestler knows what he's seemingly doing in there. Uh, I would have expected him to have performed a better sharpshooter considering you know, he's related to Bret Hart who performs the move to perfection. Uh, he had a very loose sharpshooter in the match from what I noticed, but it goes six minutes roughly. Uh, I felt like it went double that, if not longer. And the controversial Mongo finish, they zoom in right on his face when he's in the armbar submission, and you can clearly see him tell the referee, yeah, like, yeah, I submit. So I, I didn't understand why after the match he felt the need to confront the referee when visually you can see that he's saying I submit. I don't even think they showed a replay to – you know, tell that story further on. But I, I I had no expectations going into this, and I thought it was awful. Yeah, I, I do wonder if part of the reason why Bullock's been so crap in the ring since he's come back is that he's largely been working Mongo. Um, I, I don't think that helps. Um, I just don't think it helps either guy. Like, you know... I don't know exactly how much of Bulldog buying himself out of his WWF contract was him wanting to leave and how much it was WCW thinking they could, uh, thinking they could sign him. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of, you could probably get more out of him, but again, it's going to come back to what we'll discuss later in the show. Just this big logjam of talent just sends everyone firing down the card into really less than ideal spots. Um, and, you know, Mongo, Mongo now is a bit of a problem in that he's been around WCW for so long that there's, there's really not much upside to him in terms of the, you know, the all pro and the former Super Bowl winner. There's no real equity in that anymore. Like, you know, anyone that was, anyone that was tuning in to see Steve Mongo Michael on WCW for that has probably been and gone. Um, and the problem is, is that he's not really, good enough now to justify it anymore as in while he was a name and while he was why you could put him in certain spots he could be shit and it was fine but now he's a name that you can't really put in those spots and he's still a bit shit 
Um, you know, and there's been the occasional moment. I hope, I mean, dare I say, it, his best match maybe with Kevin Green of all people. Um, but he's just not evolving, and right now it's just like, you know, I, I'm sure it's a it's a great line to have on a press release, like you know, when you're when you're talking about you know reasons to come watch our shows, you know, in terms of you know trying to sell tickets and PR and stuff like that. Or maybe, you know, local media interviews, being able to sell, send former Super Bowl winner Steve Mongo McMichael to do it is probably a really good thing to have. Um, but Mongo's not doing anything with business right now other than that, I don't think. I don't think he's selling tickets. Um, you'll get a reaction in Chicago when you're there. Um, but otherwise it's just, you know, it's just bad. Um, this match was not very good. The finish was a bit weird. Um, I don't know whether the idea was to try and get over Mongo was a bit tough. Didn't really work. Um, and yeah, Mongo doesn't really have a lot going for him, and Bulldog's kind of been dragged down in the process. So uh, yeah, a uh, a big thumbs down for this one. And next up, it's Diamond Dallas Page versus Chris Benoit for the WCW United States title. There's a brief hand slap between the pair, showing mutual respect. Intensity out of the gate as Page attacks Benoit in the corner and hits a spinning gut buster. As an exchange of punches, Benoit throws some chops and then gets sent to the outside. He takes some time to recover. As an exchange of slaps, Page takes him down and the match breaks down into a fist fight. Page gets Benoit in a wheelbarrow position and slams with a reverse suplex of sorts. The match has been slower than I would have expected. Benoit being on offense to change things, but he's gone for a neck and arm rest hold of sorts. Page rallies, gets to his feet and hits a jawbreaker to break it up. He rallies again, but Benoit resists and goes back to the rest holds. Another rest hold, Page fights out of this one with a belly to back, but Benoit lands on his feet and goes for it again. Page dumps him over the top, Benoit quickly returns to the top, but Crage cops him. Meanwhile, it's 1998 and the announcers are still contemplating whether that's a disqualification or not. Page brings himself and Benoit off of the top rope and they both go down. Page links up himself over the top with a shoulder tackle into the ring. Benoit locks in the cross space, but Benoit gets his foot to the ropes. A belly-to-belly from for, from Page for a truth. The announcer calling this like it's a great match, but I'm not really sure it is. But Wild goes for a trio of German suplexes, bridging on the third. Page kicked out, but he was really late. There was probably a three there, and that got a big reaction from the crowd. Page hits his DDT. He shakes for a diamond cutter, but Benoit blocks it and goes for a backslide. Page flips over that and then snaps a diamond cutter, wins the match, and retains the title. Wayne. Yeah, I thought it was a good match. Probably a bit better than good. Um, won't really call it great. There was a few spots in there that, uh, um, I probably ruined it a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I thought it was, it was good to see the early calls for the, uh, for the crossface and, and the diamond cutter with, uh, you know, with obviously the commentary team playing on the fact that, uh, that both of the finishers for, uh, for either guy are, uh, a definite match ender. So uh, it was good to, to see that right from the start and, and, and the other guys trying to, uh, escape from, uh, from the possible finishers. But, but, uh, but yeah, the match had a lot of variants. You know, it had reversals of counters, brawling, power moves, relevant rest holds. You know, moves from high up, um, and um, you know, I, I, I thought that these two really do have good chemistry in the uh, in in the ring. Um, but I, I, you know, at the same time, I also can't think uh, can't help to think that you know it could have been a, you know a, a real real good um, sorry um, a real great match if uh, if one of them was carrying the heat. Um, you know, the face uh, versus face just 
you know, just there was something about it. If you know one of them was carrying the heat, um, I can't help that it would have just been much, much better between uh, between the two. And you know, like I said before, there was a couple of things that probably ruined it. You know, that bit where it, it, it did seem a bit botched, where Pid kicked out late. You know, the crowd all thought that. Um, um, you know that that obviously Benoit had uh, had obviously beaten him for uh, for the title, and it probably just uh, it took a bit of steam right, right at the end. Well, heading into it, I was actually surprised that Raven wasn't involved in the match because on television there was quite a bit of interaction between the three guys, uh, Diamond Dallas Page, Benoit, and Raven, and it would kind of help out with the idea of somebody carrying the heat having a heel involved. So I was kind of surprised that it was kept to just Page and Benoit. On television, they were promoting it as if DDP was trying to help Benoit reach the next level because according to Page, who I believe he said on Thunder, was that nobody in the office thinks Benoit can be that type of guy and he wanted to help prove that or something of that nature. It's a good it's a good match, definitely a good match. There's moments where the intensity is very good. But then as soon as it gets to seemingly that next level, they cut it off with a rest hold. So that was kind of a, a bummer to me. And on some level, it's still a disappointing, disappointing match in the sense of Benoit not reaching the next level as they may have attempted to here. Um, and I kind of thought that they would have a good match. Benoit is an excellent wrestler, and Paige has been shown to have capable matches in recent months since his singles run has began. Uh, as early as you know, early '97. Um, not not standout performance from from Benoit to make him into the next star, but still a good match. And uh, I think the probably the match the fans were most invested in. I would say. Yeah, it didn't it, it didn't reach the heights that you actually perhaps might have expected. Um, it was a good match. They never, you know, that was the thing when I said, you know, they announced the corners like it was a great match. It was never kind of put together like it was meant to be. Um, you know, there wasn't that speed that, you know, that you'd expect from a, a, a match that could be, you know, that kind of candidate. There was never that intensity that we know Benoit can give it. Um, and Paige looked a little bit off as well. I don't know whether it was just like, well, we're going to do multiple matches between us let's make the first one a little bit slower perhaps and um, what they did was good um it told a decent story um i'm just surprised they let the match kind of flatten out so much in the middle and then by the time we got to the end it kind of never really got back to the point where they'd expect it to go um it worked well i'm keen to see more of it i just you know if Dom Dallas Page is using a guy like Chris Benoit in an attempt to aid his credibility as a potential top-line action WCW, um, not that, you know, you only got to look at Hulk Hogan and others, not that work rate is massively important for being at the top of WCW, um, but if Diamond Dallas Page wants to convince people he's not a fluke when it comes to being a, a potential top-level draw... It would help if he went out there and had a really, really good match for Chris Benoit. He didn't. Um, that is a little bit of a problem. But as I said, I would expect to see another match of this. I would expect it to be better. What they did was good, let's be clear. Um, but I, I feel like they were very within themselves. Um, perhaps by design. I guess we'll write and see. We're told the Giant has travel issues. We see a black and white video package with slow-mos of him doing shit and looking generally pumped before slow-mos of his match with Nash. 
Next up, it's Rani Savage and Miss Elizabeth versus Lex Luger in a no disqualification match. Mike Tanay compares Rani Savage to Dick the Bruiser. I'm not a big expert on Dick the Bruiser, but that does seem a little bit off. The stylist music ever so briefly plays that just uh, before being cut off. I think that was just a fuck up. And out comes Luger to his own theme. Luger goes for a press slam, but he can't get Savage up. We spill to the outside, and Savage dumps Luger on the guardrail. Returns to the ring, and Savage goes hard after Luger's strapped up ribs. Savage then sends Luger into a cameraman and one of the security guys, and we're now in the crowd. The flock, for what it's worth, is still sat at ringside. Returns to the ring with the pace no quicker than at any point so far. Luger gets Savage in the rack. Liz just climbs into the ring and pokes Luger in the eye. It's no disqualification, so it all counts. The bell rings anyway. Savage helps Luger fight the NW off. Luger racks Savage. The bell rings again. Hone comes out and calls off the dogs. I think Luger has won. And yes, indeed he has. The NWO came out and the bell rung, despite the fact it was an ODQ match. Uh, Again, I think another fuck up in a list of them. Um, Bob, you know, there was that brief moment it feels like a long time ago, now 18 months ago, and it felt like Lex Luger may have had a... 18 months ago, it was last year, it was about six, seven months ago, where it felt like Luger might have had a shot. Um, I, I, I can't think of an act that's fallen off a cliff more quickly in the last six months than Lex Luger, but he really does just seem like the... You know, the, the the guy, this looks like the guy that flops at the back end of the WF run now, not like a guy that potentially was breaking out like he perhaps was a year ago. Uh, in that regard, you're absolutely right. I mean, back in June of 97 or so, when he was fighting Hogan on Nitro and then later on in August when he wins the belt, he was seemingly motivated. The crowd was giving him insane reactions, which was surprising to me back then. But you're, you're right. He seems to be in a loss of a shuffle here. I mean, feuding with Buff Bagwell, that didn't really feud, that didn't really elevate Bagwell anywhere. Uh, so that kind of seemed like a meaningless feud in hindsight. But this match right here with Savage, it does nothing for me. They didn't really, they seemingly did absolutely nothing, just brawling. I, I did laugh at how, how taped up Luger's ribs were. Like his entire chest was virtually wrapped up, uh, and seemingly wrapped up 15 times over as if to just say, Hey, Savage, you might want to hit me here. So that was kind of comical to me, but I thought it was also funny. They they missed the finish. They didn't even televise it and they were ringing a bell for a no DQ match when anytime the NWO got involved, it was perfectly legal. So this whole thing was just a garbage, a garbage match. And I don't know why Luger's going over. There's no seemingly, there's no direction for him. There's no setup feud while Savage has clearly been positioned to be involved in a top feud with Hogan. I don't know why they don't want him having any momentum going into, into a feud with Hogan. You would think Hogan would want him to have momentum for their eventual feud to have it mean something. But with Savage continually losing to Luger, I can't, I, I can't get invested into him now going up against Hogan. I just can't do it. What? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a good match at all. Um, it's the kind of thing that we've just been seeing too many times, um, on Nitro, for example, never mind, um, pay-per-views, you know, add to the fact that, uh, you know, the moment has passed with Luger, you know, the guy, you know, nicely touching on the point you raised, the guy is just ice cold now to what he was 12 months ago. 
to where he is now. Um, and like you mentioned, just the, I can't think of anybody that has fallen off a cliff as uh, as much as uh, Luger has. Um, you know, the fact that Elizabeth Rick in his eye got the biggest pop of the match just says everything that you need to know about where uh, where Luger is at the moment, or what the crowd was thinking about this match uh, altogether. You know, add add the fact that we've got another NWO running at the end. Yes, I know. Obviously, it was. Uh, um, Hogan was calling the dogs back, which is probably adding more to uh, to the savage the savage storyline, and maybe this was just you just there to uh, to to you know to to further evolve that storyline with Savage. Yeah, um, I, I, the, the match really was nothing to write home about. Um, as I say, like Luger's really regressed. I mean, he was never that good, but it, it worked when he was over. Now he's not quite as over as he was six months ago. I don't know how much damage they did to him, kind of with the whole giving him the title and then taking it off of him and the, the lack of follow-up. Um, Savage is a, a bit like Hogan. He, he's probably more over than he is necessarily popular in that he's like, he's just such a big name. Like it doesn't, like a bit like Ric Flair, really. Such a big name. It doesn't really matter how you book him. He's still going to draw. Um, but this wasn't anything of any note. I think the the most noteworthy thing probably was the the, the finish. The NWO come out and attempt to attack Savage. They fuck up the thing with the bell, and then Hogan comes out and says, "Actually, you know what? There's no point in stopping him. If Luger's going to win the match, just let him win it. Um, if Savage's going to lose it, rather let him lose it." Um, but yeah, it's um, Savage a bit like Luger is, is you know just guys that have a, a quite a low ceiling now when it comes to match quality. It doesn't help when you keep putting them together. Anyway, we're all next to Scott Hall and Kevin Nash with Dusty Rhodes versus the Steiner Brothers, Rick and Scott for the WCW Tag Team titles. Hall takes the mic. As long as he doesn't give it to Dusty, it'll be fine. Dusty Rhodes, we haven't really said anything. I probably will insert one of his promos, but Dusty Rhodes is just... I've no idea what they're doing with him. Like We kind of said it last month. They didn't really make a lot of sense when they turned him. They've got no material for him. Um... The latest in the lives of guys is just a really rubbish promo when it comes to anything NWO. Stick Hulk Hogan on that list too. Um, guys just don't really have anything to say and can't talk. Um, lots of booze at WCW. Another win for the bad guys in his survey. Still some tensions with the Steiners. Scott's dressed in white and not for the first time this month. The Steiners are wearing one black and one white boot for what I have no idea. Rick starts out, he gets Hall with a 10 punch in the corner, Hall staggers around and Rick hits a big belly to belly. The Steiners clear the ring and get their famous two-man pose in and then Scott just hits a double axe handle on Rick. There's a big pop for that. Scott takes DBRC off the apron and Dusty levels him on the floor. Scott does too sweet with Hall and Nash. Rick kicks out and the match continues. Ricks takes a shot from Nash straight to, straight to an outsider's edge. Hall can't get him in position. He resets, hits it, and Hall and Nash win the tag titles. Scott raises Hall and Nash's hands after the match is apparent join of the NWO. Uh, Wayne, it wasn't really a match, but as an angle, um, it was a pop that I think was a fair bit of a pop for, all. Oh, something interesting's happened, but also a little bit of, oh, that was actually quite a good moment. Yeah, I suppose I would, you know, I was actually going to mention about the pop, but, um, you know, I think it's something, you know, this is something that we've, um, you know, we've seen all before. You know, I'm not just talking about the match, I'm talking about the double cross. Um, yeah, it's, it's that surprise factor. It's, oh, something, something different has happened. But, you know, again, it's, 
Um, it's nothing we've never seen before. You know, it surprises like this of a probable losing the value now because we're seeing it all too often. Um, you know, we're obviously going to talk about it later, but as if we didn't have bottleneck issues as it is, we're now adding somebody else into that NWO stable and, um, and, and potentially in that upper to, uh, upper mid card to, to main event level. But, um, you know, I understand why they've split the Steiners up. You know they've done the thing with with Harlem Heat. It's 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 working well so far for uh, for Booker T. And you know doing it with the Steiners, I can see the value in in, in maybe pushing someone like Scott Steiner into a singles uh, having a singles career. But with the NWO, I mean, come on, and the the guy was was nearly killed. Um, in a car accident by the outsiders roughly around about 12 months ago. It was a year ago. A yeah. year ago and, and now he's joining forces with them. I mean, come on, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting better. Yes, I understand the breakup and I potentially agree with it, but I just don't agree with, uh, with hot shotting him into, uh, in, into this, um, into this group. Yeah, but I'm with Wayne. I, I, I like the, the split up, but I don't know that I'd have stuck Scott in the NWO. Um, I mean, in the context of Wayne, uh, how Wayne mentioned it about the the attempted murder back in April of 97, it doesn't really make sense in context of storyline. I don't know why. I don't think I would ever join forces with somebody who tried to kill me at one point. Um, I guess I was, I was disappointed that this wasn't an actual match just because most likely it could have been a productive match. It seemed like maybe the outsiders can just win on pay-per-view here and then maybe do the angle on Nitro or something. Scott Steiner into the NWO, though, it's going to water him down. He's going to immediately be lost in the shuffle because there's so many top names already involved in it. So he's just naturally going to get, I, I would I assume, get lost in it. To be, well, to well he started his hair, so he sta- he'll stand out a bit more. Well, okay, so there you go. Yeah, they'll, they'll, that's a good way to stick out. I do, want, I do want to note on commentary, though, they were talking about uh, Scott not getting involved with a DiBiase-Rick Steiner meeting, and then Heenan on commentary is just – kind of dismisses like, hmm, okay, like you guys don't think something's up. So he has a tendency here to kind of foreshadow a monumental, like not maybe not mon- monumental heel turn in the sense of what Hogan did at Bash of the Beach 96, but a memorable heel turn. He seemingly f- has a tendency to foreshadow and things like that and kind of maybe devalue the moment a little bit. Um, but I think Scott being the guy to turn heel and go on a singles route is is the better decision for his career path, just because the Steiner brothers are, I would say, played out, uh, accomplished as much as they could. So uh, maybe a singles run as a heel can be a little, uh, a little bit more fun. Uh, curious as to where he goes. I mean, he'll probably feud with Rick, I would imagine, but I don't know where potential matches are from there. But I, I think it's fine. I just hope he does, does, doesn't get too lost in the shuffle with NWO. Yeah, we've we 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 were saying that about the styles for a lot of the styles. The the styles now for a long time now in terms of they're just they they don't really fit in any way, shape or form in WCW. I mean not just the whole thing about uh about Eric Bischoff kind of not wanting tag teams anymore. Um but more just in the sense that there wasn't really a an orientation that seemed to make sense that they seemed to be, you know, productive in. I mean they got over. Um it was just difficult to work out what they were good for. Um and, you know, splitting them up makes sense. Um, I like the way they did the turn. I just... Scott Steiner doesn't strike me as a guy that would ride well in a group. 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misreading that. But his kind of character, I kind of feel like, teams with his brother because it makes sense, and then he goes it alone. Like, I, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen just Scott as a heel on his own against Rick as a face rather than just, you know... I don't know what they're, they're building the NWR for now. I mean, maybe they're splitting them, but it's like you could have... You, we, we don't need 45 guys in the NWO so you can split them in two. Like, that's not... That shouldn't be the goal here. Um, but, you know, they're, you know, that's the point. Scott's joining such luminaries who've joined the NWO this month as, as uh, you know, Ed, Leslie and Crush. Um, it's not this great list of names. Um, and Scott now becomes maybe the... Eighth most important name in the NWO. Um, I don't know. I know. I, I know. If I'm Scott Steiner and I'm looking at it from a character standpoint, it's like, well, being the NWO offers me a lot of protection, a lot of opportunity. Sure. And we talk about upward mobility. In some respects, being in the NWO offers you your best chance of shooting up the card in the sense that it will present you opportunities, you know, to to work Nitro main events against Hogan's pay-per-view opponent, for example. So that's fine. Um, but it also does mean that, as, as we've seen a lot now, it does mean that you just end up playing, you end up being fodder for, for Hogan. Like Hogan runs away and you end up eating Sting's finishes. Yeah, Scott Sider to me could have been something different than that. Um... Whether I, if I was him, whether I'd be happy with that change, I don't know. Um, I, I think for both of them, I'm quite happy. Quite what this will leave Rick to once this feud with Scott is over, I don't know. Um, I think Scott's got a more obvious upside as a single. Um, Rick's got a chance. As I say, it's interesting how they put this program. Um, you know, we will see, I guess, long story short. They're promoting Uncensored as a WCW NWO pay-per-view, which doesn't make much sense. Then again, when does it? And here's Michael Buffer earning his fee. It's the main event, Hulk Hogan versus Sting for the vacant WCW World Heavyweight title. Charles Robinson is the ref. Hogan starts before the bell, and then he starts whipping it with his weightlifting belt. Hogan spends about two minutes choking Sting. We drop to the floor, and Hogan's completely on top. I'll say what I said in December. Hogan's confidence here makes no sense. Hogan wins a test of strength mid-ring, then drops with a series of standing elbows. Sting suddenly jumps up and starts rallying. Hits an atomic drop, then grabs Hogan's weightlifting belt and starts attacking Hogan with it. Hogan starts biting Sting's forehead. Sting counters an Irish whip and hits the Stinger Splash in the corner. He puts in a scorpion, but Hogan's by the ropes. Another Stinger Splash, but Hogan pulls the ref in harm's way. Out comes Nick Patrick. Hogan drops the leg. Sting kicks out before three. A normal count from Patrick this time. Hogan squares up the Patrick, who says he'll throw Hogan out. We get a series of pins from Hogan, which tests Patrick's resolve. Sting bridges out the last one and wins a test of strength. After a sustained period of Hogan pressure, Sting stops steading again and goes for his repertoire of moves. Two Stinger splashes, the Scorpion death drop. Hogan boots Patrick in the bollocks on his way down and outrun the NWO. Sting fights off the NWO, hits Hogan with a can of spray paint. He leaves it in the ring. Patrick comes to and counts the three with the back of his hand. Sting wins the title and uses the spray can to spray WCW onto Hogan's chest. And Sting is the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Bob? This this booking of Sting is just borderline driving me insane. I don't know how for a year and a half or so, 16 months, whatever you want to call it, that Sting can be presented on television as a world destroyer, taking out dozens of NWO guys 
And every time he wrestles Hogan, he's controlled or dominated for 10 or so minutes. And he just looks as if he's not on the same level as Hogan. As you noted, I don't know how Hogan is so confident and seemingly not afraid of Sting uh, during the match. This seems like an instance here where they should have just had Sting go over dominating fashion, the way that the story should be told and finished off. Instead, they decide to have Savage get involved to continue on with that feud, which is taking precedence over the world title. Sting doesn't even hit a move to earn the pinfall. He's just doing it after the spray can shot. So nothing Sting does here leads to his pin. It's truly annoying how horrible they are writing the Sting character here. And I'm bored. I'm, I want to say like, I've, I've given up on Sting the character. I don't think I have much interest in him just because Hogan's seemingly obsessed with not wanting to put him over. I didn't think it was a good match. And I don't know why coming out of this, the focus is back on Hogan Savage and Sting is just treated like a, a mid-card champion despite being the world champion. What? Yeah, I'll I'll start with a good. I thought Nick Patrick was great in this match. Um, and and then I move swiftly on to to the bad. You know, it's just it's just the same thing that we're seeing over and over again. I mean, you know, as if the match at Starcade wasn't riddled with enough bullshit. They've got to roll it out to another pay per view and, and 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 do exactly the same. Um, it went on far too long. You know, I think, you know, the, both of you have made the points before, you know, Hogan got far too much offense in on, on Sting, too confident. Um, you know, this, 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 what they should have done is, is the same as what they should have done at Starcade to be fair. We shouldn't even be, we shouldn't even be contesting that. But what they should have done, why they didn't do it at Starcade is, uh, is, is they built Sting up for so long. Let him have his moment. Just let him have his moment without any controversy. You know, it's an ending that we've seen so many times now with, with all the run-ins. You know, why or oh why can we not just let Sting, the man that best represents WCW, just go over clean? You know, we've got to add more controversy. You know, Bob mentioned um, previously, you know, the fact that the booking leading up to it, the build leading up to it has been overshadowed with Hogan and Savage. And then at the end of it... Sting is is winning the title, but it's all because Savage and Hogan with with the spray can. It just just totally doesn't do, doesn't go well together. And uh, and you know I've got, I think me and Bob will, will certainly agree with what he was saying last that you know just the whole booking of of Sting has uh, has completely undone all that good work that they've done for the past eighteen months. Yeah, the match was very very similar to the war in December. Um, a lot of it didn't make sense. Okay, they. You know, <clears throat> we kind of have the half fuck finish, but this one at least made sense. Um, I won't really say much more on that. It was, it, yeah, Hogan matches are not very good. Um, this was this was no exception. Sting winning the title, it, it, it kind of feels like two months too late. As I say, I I just don't know whether like you know, be if a fascinating parallel universe to find out for certain. I don't know whether Sting's flat because of how they booked him or whether he's flat just in part because he is flat. Like, you know, so much of the Sting stuff in the last 18 months made no sense. It was so much based off mythology more than it was based off actual anything tangible. The, the hype always exceeded the reality. And when you got there, it's like, oh, it's Sting. 
And, and I don't know whether a Sting had won the title two months ago, clearly without any shenanigans, it would have been better than what we got. But I don't know that Sting is this rip-roaring success two months down the line. Um, you know, like, I, I, I think a Sting had won the title clearly in December, I wouldn't have felt that confident about his chances going forward. It's an interesting question to ask now in terms of what we think his chances are going forward. Um, but Wayne, I don't look at Sting here and think this is the start of a 10-month-long title reign. No, I think we can uh, we can see where it'll be leading to in uh, in the non too distant future. Um, just what we've been watching for for the past twelve months, really, with uh, with Hogan on top. That again, you know, I, I, I can understand where you where you're coming from with Sting. Maybe maybe it just is um, that he's you know that he's obviously not um, doing as well as uh, as what we anticipated. But the way that you build. Sting for as for, for as long as you do, for as long as you did, you you make you make him um, go over in the way that he should go over, and that's strong. And he hasn't done on both occasions when he's gone up against Solid. Bob, same question on Sting's prospects. Well, I think he's the storyline here is is unfortunate for Sting because the whole point of it is when you're drawing to the title win, then you have no place to go. So the whole the whole story is. Can he get it? Can he get through the NWO? Can he get the title, the title win, all that stuff? So once you get to there, you're going to immediately fall off a cliff. Fans are going to be like, well, he's won it. What, what do we have to cheer for? That's when you have to find the right opponents for him to face to be, I, I guess, an underdog champion. But he has been presented as an underdog for the last 18 months. So there's kind of a conflicting thing. Do I see him as a guy who could potentially hold the belt for 10 months, 8 months, or even 6 months? No. He's being presented as a... I would say a transitional champion. The focus isn't on Sting. The focus is on Hogan and Savage. If I would assume one of those guys in the next few months here will be champion to then put the focus back on the title. He is a secondary champ, a secondary character at this point with the world championship, and I can't imagine he'll have possession of it all that long just because the storyline arc doesn't call for it. No, um, he's in the bad spot. I mean, I said the intrigue really is not whether he'll hold on to the title, but more who and when he'll lose it to. Um, and funny enough, that's the kind of booking that you generally leave for the kind of, you know, the, the dastardly heel champion that cheats to win. Like, you know, tune in this month to find out whether this is the final the time where he'll get his, uh, get what's coming to him. Um, it, I, I could see him losing the title to Scott Hall next month, as in Scott Hall carrying the belt carries more intrigue than Sting does right now. I could see him losing it to Randy Savage, say in April, i.e. they don't want to go back to Hogan and Sting again, but, you know, put the title on Savage and then you can do Hogan chasing Savage for the title. That seems to make sense. You could put it back on Hogan. I don't know when, but you only need to do a snap match on Nitro and you can do that. Um... And then there's the Bret Hart situation as well. Like, I, the, Sting is, not only is he a bit flat, he's also probably about seventh or eighth on the list of guys I'd want to carry the title right now. Like, there's a lot of mystique in him in the sense that a lot of people wanted him to see take on Hogan, but I don't know that there was this clamor for him to win the title. It was just there was this big matchup they had. Now they burnt through it. It's still the Sting of two years ago. Like, the you know... The hair's longer, it's a different colour, the face paint's changed. He's a bit less emotive. 
but it's still the same Sting, and it's like we we've had this for years now. Sting's inability to break through. Whether he's found the character breakthrough, I don't know. But uh, Sting, I, I never watched Sting in any way, shape, or form. Went, this guy's a real main event act, um, you know. And I think Dave Meltzer said it best. Like Sting's probably Sting's ceiling is probably someone like Roddy Piper, a guy that's you know could get over, but probably isn't going to draw on his own. Like the reason they're doing. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage in the main event next month is that they don't want to put on Sting and Scott Hall as the main event of a pay-per-view because they don't think it'll draw. Um, they might be right too. Uh, and it says, I said that, that probably says as much for the fact it's a bad pairing as for the fact that it's just, it's very difficult to focus on Scott Hall and Sting when Hogan and Savage are doing their thing as well. Um, but yeah, um, Bob, I guess that is an interesting quick question before we wrap up our review of the show. Like, what, what do you think the, what's the most likely exit plan here and who, who's it most likely to go to? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you're, I don't know if I would put it back on Hogan, uh, just because they've already had so much interaction in two matches with awful finishes. Realistically, if you were to put it on Hogan in that spot and do it so cleanly, I would have to think Sting plummets down the card. Um, you, you mentioned a few different guys. I, I kind of intrigued about the idea of maybe a guy like Kevin Nash. I mean, a guy who almost legitimately broke the Giants neck. The Giant and Sting on television have been allies. So that could be an, a different avenue. Freshen up the world title scene, not necessarily Kevin Nash being ready for it or anything, but as a transitional champion from Sting. I guess you would say two transitional champions before putting it on somebody else, just to freshen it up for a month or two or something. Um, it, by all indications, though, it seems like it would be either Hogan or Savage at this point with the end line, uh, the end game being it'd go back to Hogan um, probably by the summer to lead into Starcade is, is my best guess. So there's going to be a transitional wedge there somewhere before it gets to Hogan by probably June or so. What? Yeah, I think what Bob said there was quite interesting, putting it on someone like Kevin Nash. I think, uh, you know, we've we, we, we've seen a bit of unrest with Nash and Hogan in the past. Um, when Nash was spitting his dummy out that he, he didn't get an invite to Rodman's little party. But, um, he, uh, you know, we, we've obviously seen that uh, that there. So it, it could add it could add tension within the count. And, you know, you know, maybe from what you was uh, what you what you noted before, Bob, the fact that the fraction um, getting the faction getting forty five people to split in two, maybe Nash winning the title could uh, you know be a leader of that one and, and go head to head at Hogan. So possibilities like that makes it interesting. But again, totally agree with Bob. The likelihood is that it goes to Savage for the end goal going back to Hogan. Yeah, um, lots of prospects, but none of them particularly look good for Sting. Um, you know, the, the big thing to dovetail back to is that it sounds like they're going to try and hold out for Hogan and Bret Hart at the end of the year. Um, uh, whether it's going to make more sense if Hogan's the champion again and Bret's chasing him, I don't know. Um, but I suspect they'll start moving the pieces in that direction at some point soon. Uh, the problem for Sting is that there's a lot of very nice options of being World Heavyweight Champion in the next few months, but I don't think he's one of them. Um, uh, and that's an interesting place enough to end it. Uh, where are your overall thoughts on this pay-per-view? And it's already out of 10. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. Normally, uh, when I do this show, uh, I always think um, go into it thinking that I didn't enjoy the pay per view. Do the review, and then normally give it a high rating. But this time, I'm actually uh, coming away thinking um, it wasn't as good as what I uh, what I actually thought it was uh, at the start of the show. I said it was probably above average. I'm probably just going to give it an average, so uh, it'll be a five. Bob. Uh, I really wanted to like the show. I thought it started off promising with the two TV title matches. Jericho Guerrero is decent to average to decent, I would say. And then Benoit and, and Paige delivering the best match on the show. But as a whole, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a good show. I would say maybe slightly above average with Wayne's going with a five. I, I, I have a six, a six out of 10 for me. I, I don't, and uh, to me, that's a bigger disappointment than sold out because this should be seen as a bigger show. Uh, while sold out to me was presented as a filler show, so a six a six out of ten, but a major disappointment in terms of execution and entertainment. I'll give it a four. Um, very missable. Um, I suppose it shouldn't be Sting winning the title outright. It should be a big moment. There's a couple of good matches. It should be said. Um, just not a. Not a show you're likely to remember. That's a big problem. Uh, and as I say, that's the the big thing more broadly. This is now hours six, seven, eight of of live TV every week. That's a problem. Your perfumes have got to be better than that if they're going to stand out. Because this this was a uh, this was a you know oddly shaped nitro. It wasn't really a different in terms of uh, standard, and that's uh, that's quite a big problem. On the day after Super Bowl, Luger kicks us off in Sacramento. If Scott Steiner can't be talked to, maybe he can have some sense beaten into him. He calls him out but gets Hennig instead. A newly blonde Scott attacks Lex before long though. Luger hits back but eventually succumbs to the new world order. Rick tries to make the save but he too gets beaten down quickly and then held up for Scott to paste him. The assault only stops when Sting comes down from the rafters. WCW alumni show up to help and give the new champ an impromptu round of applause. DDP goes against Hammer. Great finish as Paige hits a cutter off the top rope for the win. Benoit then sees off the obvious block appearance. Hogan and Bischoff make a long walk to the ring from their limo. Sting is small stuff and Hulk knows that tonight Scott Hall will bring the belt back to the family against him. Hollywood needs to kick Savage out of the NWO too, so he challenges him to a cage match as uncensored. Macho in the crowd responds in the affirmative. Ultimo Dragon versus Kaz Hayashi now. Kaz shows off some good stuff, but Dragon takes the Duke with his sleeper. Raven makes his way to the ring for his match versus Benoit, but the Crippler creeps up behind him to start it early. Raven goes for the chair, but Benoit punches it back into his face. The rolling Germans get a very close two, and here come the flock. The crowd want and get DDP, but he and Benoit strike each other during the melee. They share a tense stare down as we close hour one. Jericho comes to the ring wearing Hoobintu's mask. He wants the name of this show changed to WCW Monday Jericho. JJ Dillon is 83% sure that change will occur, he tells us. He then has a shockingly competitive match with Lenny Lane, but the Lion Tamer does get the victory. Rick Steiner gets to take out his frustrations on Vincent's, and a Bulldog is good for an easy win. Saturn and Nagata have a map-based workout. The rings win out over the Nagata lock. Booker T's reward for going 30 minutes yesterday is a match against... The Renegade, who is still reliably terrible. 
Booker thankfully closes it out with a sidekick. Conan versus Lismark Jr. is next. Conan wins in short order with the Tequila Sunrise. He takes the mic and has a bit of a pop at Hooventoot for losing his mask, even addressing him by what Mike Tanay actually calls his real name. Yes, Hour 2 really was all matches. And we carry on in that vein in Hour 3, as Bagwell and Norton are here against High Voltage. The latter get a huge amount of offence, but fall prey to the blockbuster. Eddie and his usual nuclear heat go up against Disco Inferno. Disco doesn't degrade himself in such company, but the Frog Splash procures the win for Guerrero. Here's Gene to talk to JJ. Although Nick Patrick was not the assigned official yesterday, Dylan himself sent him out during the main event, so Sting is the undisputed world champion. He brings Nick out now and gives him some public congratulations. Patrick accepts them and his back pay and says he and JJ will now get on like peanut butter and jelly. Nick even slaps hands with fans on his way to the ring. What a champion that man is. And he officiates Flair versus Brad Armstrong. The dirtiest player in the game goes low and the figure of four draws the submission victory. The Giant makes his return, complete with neck brace. He always knew he was taking a risk every time he got in the squared circle, but nothing could have prepared him for what Nash did last month. Doctors have told him he may never wrestle again, but they are wrong. Nash has a bad case of giants all over his back. Brian Adams is here to put the bad mouth on Brett after last week's attack, but the hitman isn't standing for it. He wants to face-to-face right now, and he gets it. He puts on the sharpshooter, but Hennig and Rude get involved. Once more, Flair helps out, and he and Hart exchange high fives after the handshake last time. Rick takes the mic, and he calls Brett the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. There won't be any sucker punch here either. He really does want to shake Brett's hand because he has earned his respect. Brett then challenges Hennig for uncensored. Sting vs. Hall is our scheduled main event. There's no sign of Scott when the champ comes to the ring, but another Sting turns up, no prizes for guessing that it's Hall, and he and the NWO, who now include a currently unnamed Brutus Beefcake, yes him again, destroy the Stinger. Savage tries to make the save, but he too gets pulped. Luger cleans house with a chair as the month comes to a very limp end. Full of the greatest athletes in the world. The Hitman Welcome to WDW for life. In my lifetime, I will tell you this, Bret Hart. Hogan, Hall, Nash's, Hennings have always tried to prevail. But today, today, Bret Hart, and I'm going to say it firsthand, maybe not tomorrow, but today, you are the best there is. Oh, wow. The best there was. <laughs> and today, the best there ever will be. Now, half, half this crowd's waiting for me. Sucker punch you. It ain't gonna happen. I'm gonna tell you why. Because I told the world when I'm Anderson retired, there's only a few things 
in life that are special, that make you get up and kiss your kid, say goodnight to your mom and dad for. When I managed to retired, I stood here and I cried because a man I loved that was a bad apple had to say goodbye before he was supposed to. The second thing that's happened to me lately is when I went home from Dayton, Ohio, after wrestling you, God only knows I didn't want to turn on that TV. Because I didn't want to see you out here going, Mean Gene, I beat Ric Flair. I tore him up. I showed him I was a man. Instead, you looked at this great wrestling world and you said I was the man. And you know what? For that, I will shake your hand. And you may not need to help along the way. Because you're good, brother. But if you do need some help along the way, Ric Flair would love to walk that aisle. Woo! And style and profile with you. Hey, I think I've been sitting on the shelf a little too long. And I made one promise when I came to the WCW. And that is that I'm going to take the NWO and tear them apart brick by brick. And Kurt Henning, you want to start stuff with me? That's fine with me because I've been waiting a long time. And Kurt Henning, I challenge you right here, right now, to a match at Uncensored. Mm. And I'm going to start with you. And I'm going to finish you once and for all. Brett, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. See this fat boy right here, the NWO boy? Guess where it is? It's right here, boy. Woo! Woo! Right. Let's find a discussion point of the month. Not really anything on the old... Uh on the old TV front for the month would have dropped the old promo in, but it, it, it's, you know, we're kind of moving towards Uncensored now. Um, only to say that, given that Uncensored is about two weeks for WrestleMania, apparently they are going to try and stack that card quite deep. Um, so we'll see how that comes out next month. Um, but just a more a, a more broader discussion point to finish, really, in, in terms of, you know, a lot of the stuff we mentioned in the news about... Uh, about kind of unrest in the mid card and just more generally that like Ric Flair's not being happy about how he's being used Giants contracts up in not too long a time frame. It's like, I'm not sure he's delighted with how he's being used right now. And, and, and what I would just call this general log jam at the top of the card, if I can be polite, um, uh, Bob, it's, it, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting discussion point. um, but you've got a lot of really big names there. Is there a case to say you've got too many? Absolutely. I I can't imagine a, sh- a show or, a, or a, a wrestling promotion that has so many top names, and none of them are going to want to be the fourth, math, the fourth match on the show. There's only so many co-main event spots you can do before you're running into a situation where you're trying to promote a show that has four co-main events just because you're trying to appease so many legends or icons in wrestling. You're, yeah, so absolutely, you're oversaturating your main event scene. And then if you're not utilizing people, you may be a victim of portraying a main event guy as a mid-card just because there's just not enough room in your main event scene. So, yes, I, I absolutely do think there's a case of 
there's too many top guys and not enough spaces to put them. Wayne, same question? Yeah, like I mentioned before, it's... Uh... So it's just bottleneck issues at the moment. You're adding more guys to uh, to fill in there, bringing people in like Brian Clark, and you know I can't believe that we're still rolling out Vincent. Um, you know people like this, they just don't deserve to be in these spots. And uh, I can I can completely understand where some of the other guys in in the locker room are, 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 are you know having that unrest at the moment. Um, you know probably disillusioned that you know if we don't join. Um, the NWO is. Are, are we ever going to be able to uh, to do anything? Add that to the fact that you've got people like Guerrero, who's obviously upset that you know a mask is probably a big thing for him. You know when he was saying uh, uh, "I love you," that he was uh, apparently he was saying that to his dad because his dad's a bit a big mass wrestler, and uh, you know it, 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 probably that dishonour with her, and the fact that it just uh, you know it was a quick yeah we're going to do it at the pay per view rather than a big a big um, a big angle uh, with with a big ending. You know there's going to be unrest like that, and so everything like that is uh, is probably yeah, you know, being being rolled up into one big um, one big set of unhappy campers. Yeah, it, it is just you know that that you live by the sword, you die by the sword. It's just very very difficult. Like you you look at WCW's top end of the roster. Like if you were going to order the you know the star power between their top of the roster and the WWF top of the roster of the top. 15, 20 names, WWF maybe have five. Um, you know, WCW got so much talent, so much name power, but they just can't put them anywhere. You know, you they've got five hours of, of weekly television every week. In theory, you've got enough time to showcase everyone, but it's very, you know, they've all got to coexist. Like you, you've got to put them against one another. You can't just put them in in the in the one spot. You can't just say, okay, we're going to do this guy against you know lower card guy, this guy against lower card guy. That's not really how it works. Um, and so it's just going to be a challenge in terms of trying to see what they can do going forward. Trying to keep, you know, and we said guys happy. We're trying to keep egos happy, which really doesn't help. Um, I think that's going to be a big question up, um, going forward is, well, you know, you've got a lot of guys and a lot of money, it makes them very difficult to move on and move around. It's very difficult to try and phase guys out because you don't want them to go across the WWF. There's a lot of guys in that mix that the WWF could do a lot with right now. So that doesn't help. Um, and it's just the fact that it's very difficult to showcase more than three or four guys at once without other guys getting lost in the shuffle. Um, I guess the big question, Bob, is what do you do about it? We say there's probably too much at the top. We then got the whole point of all these mid-carders that aren't particularly happy at how well they're being kind of portrayed as well. You've got The one thing they've unquestionably got is a buttload of TV time. But I don't know that that is going to solve the problem, even if they change how they approach things. And I don't know that there's an easy answer here. You've got a lot of guys under long-term contracts. A lot of them are over, um, but it's not easy to keep all of them happy. And I don't know how they get out of that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around it and, and try to give you a good answer as to how they can solve it. And I don't think they can. They're just, it's, it's going to be a point here where, a guy like Ric Flair or Bret Hart is going to be the third match on the card. And it's going to devalue what he brings to the company, I would think, in a fan's eye if that happens. 
they're not going to space it out in terms of presentation as a, as a, these guys are appearing on Thunder every week or Saturday night. They have four TV shows, I believe, that they could space it all out on, but it's not all, re- all readily available for different countries and stuff like that to begin with. They're overloading it on Nitro, and then they have not enough for Thunder, so they're using mid-cards in that. So if they, maybe if they were to split it off into two different companies within one or something, that way you're not flooding pay-per-views under one brand name, similar to what they're doing with NWO. If they were to you know separate that off, I guess maybe that's a way to do it. Um, but if they were to keep it underneath just one banner of WCW, I don't think there is a way that they can keep – keep harmony there and have everybody be happy without being in the main event spot or anything. So it's just a, a situation where maybe they have to ride it out for a year or two. And then when the contracts come up, maybe make decisions as to who they can continue to use in that role. And then you look at what we saw here on, on Super Bowl, guys like Booker T and Scott Steiner, maybe those are guys you can elevate who aren't, you know, big names yet, top names yet in their roles. So maybe that's a way that they can do it in, in terms of a, of a rebuild. But I would think for maybe a year or two they can survive. Obviously, they're red hot right now that maybe they can survive with so many main eventers and not enough spots until they get to that breaking point in, let's say, 99 or, or 2000. Wayne, uh, any, any ideas that come up? Any magical solutions to this problem? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult, but um, they're, they're doing well. The, the WCW is doing well, so maybe this is the the solution for them. You know what what what's happening at the minute is is obviously working for them. Yeah, it's it's causing other people to be unhappy, but I don't think that they'll that they'll maybe want to try anything to solve it because what they're doing is 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 is, is working well for them. Yeah, that is always going to be the point. It doesn't matter while it's just you know, it, it doesn't matter while it's working. Is always going to be the point. Um, you know, Fetty Guerrero comes in and says, I want to quit. Eric Bischoff's like, well, shit, I don't want him appearing on WWF TV. Um, but it, 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 Eric Bischoff's probably otherwise not massively bothered by it. Um, so there's that. Um, it's just tough. Like, Giant's an interesting example. Like, the Giant's a guy you could do a lot with. He's got a lot of upside. He's got a lot of skills, a lot of talent, a lot of attributes, big size, good look. He's over got a move that's over he can talk um there's very few things he's not good at and yet it's very difficult to book a guy like that anything else and as a top guy and we've seen them struggle with that over the last 12 months in terms of once he got moved out of the main event picture then he kind of treads water for a bit he ends up wrestling scott norton okay they've got something decent going with the kevin nash right now um it's just difficult when you've got such a, a shallow, broad pool of, of main event names. As in, all of those guys, you know, if, if this was another era, you'd rotate them in and out. But this is an era where ratings matter and where you've got competition. So you kind of got to keep them all on TV. And so you've got to keep them all on TV. They, you know, the NWO helps kind of magnetize a few of them together so they're not all split off in seven or eight different programs but you still got to keep them doing something and invariably it means you get situations like um, you know on shows like this on shows next month where you've got big names wrestling fourth or fifth on the card but it does then mean that you know guys like Di Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, like Chris Benoit, like the the Mexican guys, you know guys like Booker T, guys like that, guys like British Bulldog to a point 
they're just kind of mid-carders by default. Um, and for some of those guys, it works better than others. But, you know, it's if it's difficult enough giving space to the guys that are already on top, it's very, very difficult then to say, well, actually, I've got four or five guys underneath that we'd like to push up, and I don't know what they do about that. You can't really let go of them. You could rotate them in and out would be an option. But again, like the that would make sense if you had two hours of TV a week. You've got five. Um, you could split them apart in some way, shape or form. And dare we say that's what they were looking to do with the NWO only show. Never got around to doing that, but that's there. Um, and we now are where we are. Um, in some ways it's a great position to be in, but in some ways you'd kind of like to be the WWF. Like, Steve Austin's getting over in the WWF because all these puzzle pieces keep just getting out of his way. You know, Bret Hartley, Shawn Michaels gets injured. You know, spots just keep opening up. It's easy to push Steve Austin as the top guy in, in part because he's really over, in part because he's really good, in part because he's done a pretty good job in getting over, but in part because there's no one else. They have to push Austin as a top guy because there's no other choice. Um, you know, Steve Austin, the same character, was in WCW. Even being this over and being this character, he'd be fighting for airtime with half a dozen other guys that would all, to one degree or another, warrant the same spot. And it means that you either keep Austin apart, or let's let's keep it at WCW, you keep Giant apart, or the other guys, fine. But that doesn't lend itself to brilliant television. Um, it's a big challenge. And as I say, like that's a logistical problem. Throwing the fact there's a lot of massive egos in there, and a lot of guys paying a lot of money, some guys that have got creative control, other guys that have got other leverage. Very, very difficult. Um interesting to see what they do with it and what they come up with um but it's going to be difficult to get the best out of any of them when they're all fighting for the same space uh you know wrestling's never really done this before you know even when even go back a few years there just wasn't that much talent around um and there wasn't i I suppose the other big thing is that it you know there's been you know that that kind of wwf run in the late 80s where there's a load of quite over talent but, you know, there wasn't a case of saying that the best acts in the WWF in the ni- mid to late 1980s were the guys wrestling in the first three matches on the card. Um, I suppose unless it was Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart, etc. But, you know, there wasn't that case of saying, shit, there's, there's you know, our best ten wrestlers, eight of them are in the undercard. WCW have now got that problem. Um, fascinating to see how it all pans out, I guess. Anyway. That will wrap up this much show. A big thank you to Wayne Lithgow. Thank you very much, Wayne. Thank you very much, Bob. Uh, remind people where they can find you on Twitter. That'll be WayneL84. And Bob Colling. Bob, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, Bob, you've got lots of things to promote. Let people know where about your website and where they can find all your writing and your Twitter and everything else. All right. Well, i got a couple of things. i got wrestlingrecaps.com. That's uh, a whole bunch of wrestling reviews and columns and whatnot. And then I also have a new podcast with my good friend Austin Skinner called Icopod, I-C-O-P-O-D, where we start with the first Raw 93 and we discuss everything that's going on in the WWF moving forward. That can be found at icopod.podbean.com. It's been a lot of fun and we're looking forward to continuing on with that series. And then you can catch me on uh, Twitter. You can follow me there at YoBobbyBoy89. There we go. I, uh uh, enjoy your voyage back in time into the. Uh, is, is it just raw you're covering pay per views, WCW, anything like that, or just whatever takes you fancy? 
Uh, well, for right now, we're just doing WWF, just Raw. Like I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go through what's going on in the syndicated shows and stuff like that. For the most part, I believe uh, it's Austin's first time ever viewing it, so it's a pretty good different, you know, dynamic there to see how he reacts to it compared to how I've reacted to it after seeing it numerous times. But for right now, we're just focusing on WWF. When it comes to the Monday Night Wars, we're likely to introduce uh, Nitro into the mix just to give a comparison and stuff like that. But for right now, it's just WWF. Yes, now it will get worse before it gets better. Absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you're well aware of that. Uh, yes, reminder, as two of the volumes for this month, we are in a weird situation where we're taping all three shows exactly the same time. Um, so uh, Chris, uh, Chris, Eric and Dad are doing WWF as we speak, uh, and Chris and Billy are doing ECW as we speak. So an interesting little uh, first on the show. Hangouts is kind of accommodating different three different podcasts at the same time. Um, WWF volume number two, in your house no way out uh i watched that show last week it is not a thriller um quite a month in the wf actually you, you think they'd be a bit like uh you know it, it's interesting that you, you look at uh you know you go back in the history books you, you figure nitro would have been rocking and rolling ahead of starcade last year it wasn't uh you figure raw might be rocking and rolling ahead of wrestlemania this year with tyson it wasn't um, so interesting what they got to say about that. I uh, invite number two, invite number three, text to ECW. Um, all the goings on with uh, Batman Bigelow rejoining the Triple Threat or reuniting the Triple Threat uh, and ECW Cyber Slam. Ronnie, you can follow us on Patreon. You can have to say thank you. Uh, and where possible to get early access to shows, as I say, we're taking all three at the same time. So no such luck this month. Uh, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20YRS. Uh, our website that I'm kind of starting to wind down now as you'll work out. Um, uh, stepping back's not the right word, but I'm kind of uh, kicking away some commitments regarding this show. The website's probably going to be one of them, and you'll hear me on slightly fewer shows than you would have expected to in previous years. Just as the the workload gets a bit bigger, I start spreading it out a little bit more. Uh, but what we've got on the website, Wrestling20YRS.com, we can find all our back episodes there, if nothing else. Um, on Twitter, at Wrestling20YRS, we're on Facebook, etc., uh, etc. Et That'll do that. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been the WCW edition of the February 1998 uh, Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, Goodbye.